Uh, so, Steve, I got a question for you. Mm. What is the greatest bass solo of the 90s, and why is it redefined by Incubus? <laughs> oh, God. I mean... Dirk, Dirk Lance. He's oh just my one of the god! Bassist of all time. I know, man. You, you know the song I'm talking about, right? Redefine. That's on uh, Science, right? Yeah, it's the first track. And yeah. I mean, oh, even, yeah. I, not to like diminish Mike Enziger. Like I, I heard for him to be able to actually play all the parts in in Redefine, he has to like sit on the floor because you know his feet aren't enough for all the pedals. Right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. He has to use his hands too on top of his feet. Um, yeah, Einzinger is known as like just like the king of the pedals. Uh, yeah. He probably had the most massive pedal board of the yeah. late '90s. And man, um, that that PRS guitar too—it's like so iconic. I know it is. Yeah. It is funny. Like when you think of like nine, or when you think of guitar players, you know, great guitar players, you always come up with like, well, did they have a signature sound? Mm-hmm. And so you think of, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Slash, he maybe wasn't the grandest guitar player, but you knew the way his, oh, his yeah. sound was clear. Yeah. So um, many guitarists I know, like they say, sweet child of mine is the reason why they started playing, you know? Right. Yeah. But I would say, I would argue that Einzinger for a late nineties, early two thousands, he had a sound mm. that was kind of pretty clear for, for you know, obviously, it wasn't as he wasn't as big time, and and guitarists weren't as uh, highlighted at that period as they are as they were previously. But right. for a musician, I was like, I knew his his guitar tones, and they were yeah. you know, kind of spacey and echoey and all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right, and yeah, the the call and response that he does is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially yeah. when they get to enjoy. Oh no, sorry, not enjoy. Make yourself. Like the Make Yourself mm-hmm. album is just man, yeah, just incredible stuff. And the whole fact that he was just like writing off Drive as like, oh yeah, I just wrote it as like a jingle. Yeah, <laughs> it's like one totally. of their biggest hits. Um, yeah. But yeah, going back to Dirk Lance though, oh my god, oh. that solo in Redefine, mm-hmm. like it raises hairs on my arms. Like it's just like yeah. so incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's probably it's not even like thirty seconds. Like it's. It's no. a really quick solo, and I mean, he plays it like 100 miles per hour, and yeah, um, yeah it's it's not even, once he's done like with the um, uh, oh my god, why am I blanking on what that's called when he's slapping? Um, yeah, uh, he does that deep like I mean that's something also that Fieldy from Corn would do, where it's right. like you know they they do this percussive attack on the strings, but then they'll do the the really deep low notes yeah just yeah. to follow it you know that drop mm-hmm. down is just like man incredible yeah. they found something and i think we found something with the, with opening with some incubus talk this is pretty good yeah man this, this, is, this is a pretty good way to start <laughs> to start the pot i, I must say hell yeah man but do, uh, do you have another nomination for like best bass solo of the 90s of the i mean the 90s was was a uh, was kind of bass deficient i feel like the, the only th- the first thing that popped in my into my mind was Mike Dirt's Longview bass line. Okay, you know from yep. from uh, boom 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 boom. But um and then uh, and then uh, Flea had a really legendary bass line in um, Soul to Squeeze, but I think oh, that was like yeah. earlier. And that's like acoustic bass too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very. Yeah. It was kind of the rhythm guitar of that song mm-hmm. was the bass. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. But as far as people soloing, 
there wasn't a ton of people really getting too flashy, mm-hmm. I think, until Incubus came back. And then they kind of brought back a whole slew of, you know, you know, like of good bass players that were kind of like stuck in rock bands that couldn't show off their skills. Right. I felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, um, like Alien Ant Farm and um, even the, the bass player in Hoobastank was, I remember, yeah. was really good. And you would go to see them play like small coffee shops, and he would just be amazing. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go, and then when they blew up and got big off of the radio stuff, he had to just kind of play like the one note, yeah, kind of stuff, you know. Oh, I blame the um the label, the record label. Yeah, but it it it's funny that you mentioned that because with Dirk Lance, too, that was one of the things that my friend told me when uh, Morning View came out. He was mm-hmm. like, you know, watch that video for um uh, Wish You Were Here. And look at how he's playing bass. Like he hates it. <laughs> he's yeah. just like looking yeah. down and like plucking like mindlessly. And mm-hmm. sure enough, you know, he left the band. Like the next yeah. album, they replaced he him with uh, Ben Kenny, uh, yeah. who's who's a decent bassist, but like very different styles. You know, like Dirk was mm-hmm. all about like pizzicato, like fingering everything. Whereas, yeah. um, yeah, Ben Kenny's more of like a pick guy, and you know, he comes from more of a hip hop background. I think he played with right. the Roots. So yeah, so I mean, yeah. he fit the direction they were mm. going, but yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I love that album too. Um, Crow Left of the Murder. Uh, I think that was mm-hmm. their last great album. Like after that, right. it was just uh, kind of downhill. But yeah, well, th- this is cool to learn. I didn't know that you were such an Incubus head. Oh hell yeah, man! I got all <laughs> th- those first four albums. I have them on vinyl. Like I yeah. I play them all the time. Yeah, uh, you yeah. should talk to my sister. My sister was 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 in on them early. Like she was seeing them at like the whiskey and the Roxy and like wow. with, like b- b- back when they just had their EP. Like I think this is before. Like they just put out Fungus Among Us. I, right. I remember. Like like we had that. I yeah. remember. Um, yeah. And so yeah, she she'll tell you about the old days back back when Brandon had dreads. <laughs> yeah, I still remember that. Yeah, and there's still <laughs> yeah. photos of him with dreads in on on the album art of um oh, yeah. uh, and he still went by the name Cornelius back yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember really? that. And also like um uh, who was the DJ before uh Kilmore? I can't remember his <sighs> name now, but he was really good on on science like yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean some of the scratching sure. in in that album is just incredible but yeah apparently they had to get rid of him because he had like drug problems and dj life dj life yeah man incredible yeah. guy i i think actually he was probably my fit because you know that was a thing mm-hmm. you know with limbiscuit and mm-hmm. who else had a mm-hmm. dj um i'm trying to oh god i'm blanking but yeah other yeah. other metal bands had djs oh um Sugar Ray, <laughs> they had the DJ too. Um, That's right. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like DJ Life was the best one. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Incubus was the most tasteful about it. Yeah, yeah. and they evolved with the times. Like initially, I remember I when you know uh, Make Yourself came out. Like I was like, oh, are they selling out? Like it's trying to be more, you know, palatable mm-hmm. uh, to the mainstream. But now looking back on it, like it was a natural progression for them. Yeah to move in that mm-hmm. direction and yeah and yeah they're they're great those four albums are awesome you know mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah awesome cool all right well, great. okay so um yeah welcome Got it in. back to movie f- movie food our Whoa. um our penultimate episode i've always loved that word penultimate 
That's so right. yeah, uh, man, Steve, it's been a year. <laughs> it's crazy. It's been quite a year. Uh, we started this way back when in the tail end of 2021 and maybe start of 2022. And yeah, yeah, we've th- th- we're almost going to have about 20 or so episodes in a year, which is which yeah, is it's pretty quite good. A bit. Yeah, it's yeah. like we I don't did we ever miss a month? Like at least we had like one episode a month, I feel. We at least had one a month. And yeah. that was kind of what we were thinking we mm. could do. I remember at the time we weren't sure what our workload was going to be and luckily we, we we've had a couple months where we've had two or three. I know last month was kind of quite a few. We even yeah. got out the the lost episode on on the Patreon. Yeah. So if you want to hear that, yeah, check go it to out. The Patreon. Um, so yeah, at least one a month, which is pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. And you know, for all you fans, we have one more after this, and then uh, we're probably gonna take a a little New Year's uh, hiatus, and then we'll be back. Mm. And um, uh, I don't know if if I should bring this up uh, on on air, Steve, but. Uh, is there some rumblings that maybe we might be actually doing an episode in person together live? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a good chance of that. Yeah. I, I don't want to get our hopes up here, but I'm, I'm hoping that we can get a in person, uh, an app, uh, soon. Hell yeah. Maybe some more special guests should be good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Pumped. Awesome, man. All right. So, uh, yeah. Um, the other weird thing. So now we're second to last episode. We were texting about this episode, and then all of a sudden, we had like this kind of eureka moment, which was like right in front of us this whole time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the name of our podcast is Movie Food, but we never thought to name our sections of the episodes um, after food-related items, like you know, as you know, a dinner would be or whatever it would be when you'd have a meal. Like what yeah. the sections are, and it only actually came up because i i came up with a new segment for something towards the end of the episode mm-hmm. um yeah so it was right there in front of us the whole time yeah. <laughs> so but, yeah but 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 it's good it, it takes us you know it's good that we let the we let it grow organically and develop because yes. it's like yeah we, if we would have come up with these all episode one might have felt a little forced so the fact right that, you know it's kind of unfurling kind of like an onion you know like an onion with layers here yeah it's, uh, <laughs> I like that. It's, it's nice <laughs> good metaphor and Thank yeah I, I feel like um you know it, it's one of those things where uh yeah let's go back to music as a metaphor you know how certain bands like maybe their their debut album is solid it's decent but then they suddenly like come into their own on the right. second album i feel like that's what's gonna happen with us with the second season it's like oh okay movie food is now starting to take shape like yeah yeah this was our this was our fungus among us and next (laughs) season hopefully it will be our science science oh yeah dude uh and i mean if anybody's listened to those two albums you know how huge of a leap uh those two were (laughs) but uh you know you gotta also give credit to enjoy incubus which was the ep in between those two albums yeah that was the first one i ever heard actually um And yeah, so uh, we're we're gonna be renaming, but you know, uh, for for old times' sake, we're still gonna be using um, your stingers that you worked so hard on uh, oh, for so this hard. season. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we we should tell them um, what the new segments are gonna be called uh, moving okay. forward. Um, sure. So yeah, so quick cuts is now gonna be um, appetizers. That uh, makes sense. Our main feature is now going to be um, the main course. Uh, 
And mm, that sounds good. Yeah, and uh, the is this a keeper question will now be um, uh, second helpings. Oh, we still haven't figured it out. It's like maybe second helpings yeah, like, or back for seconds. Yeah, uh, would you order this again? Yes, exactly. Something like, yeah, Something like that. So we're, we're working that one. Yeah, but um, yeah, Car- Carlos Cannon is still going to stay the same. And uh, Scott I, Take. Yeah, Scott Take. That's still going to be. Yeah, I mean, that kind of could be a food-related thing, Ooh, too. We could change corrections and retractions to like uh, something related to like sending the food back. Yeah, I was know, thinking like, of that, um, too. But I was just like, you got to have Malika again to do the. Oh, right. I'll have her. Because, <laughs> I mean. I'll, yeah, so we'll keep it. But then once we come up with it, I'll have her come back and sing it. Yeah, mm. that'd be good. I mean, yeah, that the, that vocal is 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 key that it's legendary yeah exactly (laughs) we gotta keep that um all right so yeah let's get into appetizers but yeah you can still play the quick cuts here we go (laughs) there you go that's it yeah (laughs) you just cover it up just like what what you were talking about with kai with kai revised the the segment yeah you just covered the last word podcast exactly we're good we're good all right steve so yeah what have you been watching lately what's been up um, okay, so I don't have much. Uh-huh. The one movie, so the one movie that I want to talk about was Blonde, but I think you haven't seen it yet, and there's a chance we might we might talk about Blonde yeah. in the future. I feel that, like that okay. deserves an episode. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's just there's there, there's just a lot. It, it's really interesting, is mm-hmm. what I'll just say. Okay. And there's a lot to like talk about. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's a, like I guess a teaser. Okay. Um, so the movie that um that I guess the the other movie that I I kind of saw and I can just quickly talk about is another documentary. You know, we've been ripping through documentaries this this whole year and and this is another one that kind of goes into the heap of like eh it was all right. Oh man. Was um are you familiar with the story of John McAfee? Uh is he related to Pat Mac? Oh no, this is the guy who um created internet security right the mcafee that's right uh, yeah the antivirus software oh McAfee. man yeah he was he, he was an interesting guy he was beyond interesting he was are he was arguably a, like a real nut job and wild man and if 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 you google his name you're gonna come up with like fecal stories and like <laughs> prostitutes and just like all kinds of wild yeah. stuff well netflix put out a documentary about of they did it, it, it's, it's probably like two months ago at this point called running with the devil, the wild world of John McAfee. And I was really curious because when he died, there was all this rumor of, um, that he had a, a quote unquote kill switch. That was like, if he died, it was going to set off this kill switch and it was going to like do something. Okay. Now what it was going to do is really unclear. It's one of those <laughs> things where it's like, kind of in the conspiratorial world it was like oh he's gonna release all these documents that because he he, you know he's the antivirus guy he has everyone's information he's just gonna release all this stuff and like fuck over all these businesses (laughs) he's gonna y2k everyone (laughs) yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be john 2k it's gonna be a whole deal okay um and like nothing happened right it was just like a lot of scuttlebutt when he died now maybe they wiped it all away, you know, whoever they are. Mm-hmm. So I was really curious, like, okay, well, he he obviously had, he, he, he was narcissistic to have people document him over the last couple of years of his life. And it seemed like he was doing it 
because um or at least the narrative of the doc is that he's having these people document his life because he doesn't think he'll get killed if there's a documentary crew following him around. <laughs> or at least, you know, it would be filmed. <laughs> it would happen right, in yeah, front of the camera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. At least he'll have all the evidence. And so the first chunk of it is really intriguing. It's interesting. Yeah. You feel like you're going to get something. But then by the end, it's, you know, it's like two hours and you're kind of just left with it. Just felt like a reality TV show. It felt like him and um some of the camera crew they're just kind of there narcissistically for themselves and just to keep him mm -hmm. feeling important sure and so and like there's like rumors that he's like maybe was killed by the cartel because like he's basically out in like latin america or central america in like hiding gotcha and and, and, he, and he keeps having to go from country to country and so like there's like drama in terms of like can he get out of this country and make it safely into the other one and right there's that kind of like stuff and it you can't tell if it's fake you know if it's staged or if it actually happened like that yeah isn't there like kind of like an epstein vibe with the whole yeah. how he died like kind of thing yeah there there's a whole thing and uh -huh. and unfortunately they don't cover that part well they it's like what it covers well is him running around central america and kind of acting like a buffoon and partying with um his the various girlfriends that he has and kind of you don't really see him doing a ton of drugs but you, you you're under the impression that he's he's on a lot of drugs and gotcha. so it's just kind of like watching an old rich guy be a mess which is ultimately not that rewarding a movie mm. yeah maybe <laughs> so. the fictional version will be better yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, it's like uh, I don't know. I I feel like that's a dying breed for some reason. The the right. the eccentric billionaire. <laughs> like we well, don't. Yeah, we don't have that out many. there. Yeah, you know, you, you got Elon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you would call him eccentric. He's certainly out in the public eye. Yeah. You got Bezos trying to get to space. So mm -hmm. you you have a couple of people, but you don't necessarily. I don't know if you'll have. The uh the wild man, I mean I guess it's Kanye. Would you? Oh yeah, yeah. He 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 fits the bill totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He is that eccentric billionaire. It's like yeah. I mean that that is the dream in in terms of I think having <laughs> yeah. you know um uh what what do they call it like um not an expense account like um uh, disposable income. When you mm -hmm. have that, it's like that's when you can get away with a bunch of the stuff and like, you know, nobody can really cancel you, you yeah. know, even though, you know, with Kanye, he, he definitely lost a lot of money, especially with the, um, yeah. his shoe deals. Um, yeah. but you know, so it goes, yeah, it, you know, it's like, it, it, yeah, he is really pushing what's gonna like, how, what's gonna happen, you know? Mm. And, you know, like obviously the media scuttlebutt and, public perception has totally changed on him yeah and um and he's now a pariah and kind right. of you know just look at who he's hanging out with it's like you don't necessarily want to hang out with any of those folks <laughs> but it is interesting just to see like god how far is he actually how far will this actually go yeah and in john mcafee's case he he took it to central america mm. got a documentary made <laughs> said he had a kill switch and died and and, and I mean, and who knows? He he could have faked his death. Like it's like this. It's a whole weird, right? Um, you know, zeitgeist. Yeah, zeitgeist I don't think it's it's, it's off the table because we don't even know why he was. Um, wasn't he imprisoned when he died? 
Is that oh, is that Matt, what happened? Uh, what maybe. was it? Yeah. yeah, it was just mysterious circumstances. It's like, and unlike you know Epstein, it wasn't like he had committed some sort of crazy crime, and he's not even like on the level of I think like Julian Assange, uh, where you know like uh, right. governments are really after him like blatantly. Um, yeah. So. I know it's strange, but yeah, it's a shame that it's it's just another by the numbers documentary, which Netflix is just prone to do. Like, I'm just wondering yeah. if you know, because HBO makes you know high quality mm-hmm. documentaries, yeah. you know, so yeah. if if HBO yeah. had handled it, it might have been better. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Like, um, you know, if the guy who made that cue into the Storm doc, which mm-hmm. is not HBO, if if he had made this and had handled it, I'm sure it would be a lot mm-hmm. more interesting and you'd have some more threads to pull on the one crime i guess that allegedly john did commit is is that he supposedly or allegedly murdered his neighbor and when he was living in whatever i think it was god what country was it it, it was a central american country and like that's what started the whole thing of him having to leave the countries was he was oh. being he was suspected of murder and so he's denying it he's on the run Gotcha. And so you ultimately don't know, but it's kind of the the documentary makes you seem like, oh, I think he killed a guy. <laughs> oh, okay. So what yeah. was the uh, the official like ruling on his death? Like, what was the cause of death? What did they say? Let's look it up. Oh, it wasn't mentioned in the documentary. No, they left it vague intentionally to kind oh. of make it to kind of give you a ooh, maybe he did fake his death. <laughs> Jeez, kind of an ending. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the documentary didn't even want to take itself seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Oh, oh yeah. It's, okay. So, so it says on CNN he died in a Spanish pr- prison after ext- extradition. Yeah. But what happened in the prison? Like, did he hang himself or like you know that that's my question. Yeah. Did he get killed? Did he get shivved in, in the showers or something? <laughs> well, like, I imagine a man of his stature, he wouldn't be with Gen Pop. Like, he would definitely oh, yeah. have his own, like, they have, like, that yeah. section specifically for, you know, um, either yeah. uh, they're, like, the most dangerous criminals or they're the ones that mm-hmm. are, um, that need to be protected, I guess, right. from the rest of the population. Uh-huh. So he well, might have been, right. yeah. And when he died on Instagram, he posted, like, a cue. Whoa. And so, like, it was this whole thing of, like, does he want people to think he's Q? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I have no oh idea. Oh my god, it's so funny. He's just kind yeah, of a wild dude. Yeah, we're talking about like this is relevant to our main course. You know, the the eccentric billionaire. Like, it's uh, totally right. right up there. And that's right. That's where we're headed. Yeah, and uh, with my um uh my quick cut too of something sure. I watched recently in the theater and I enjoyed it uh it, it's relevant both to our um our pivot to more food themed uh, uh sections of the episode uh but also um yeah about eating the rich and this is like literally mm. eating the rich which is um the menu uh have you heard oh, of this movie no uh, no okay so um yeah the trailer's been out for a while and you know it it, it was a kind of a very jazzed up trailer great cast you know Ray Fiennes um mm-hmm. uh Anya Taylor-Joy Nicholas Holt um John Leguizamo um uh, Janik McTeer I also like her a lot um so yeah the basic premise of the menu is uh it's this kind of very fancy dinner that takes place on an island so you got to take a cruise ship 
which is also very relevant to our main course. Oh, yeah. okay. uh, you take a little cruise ship to this island to have this dinner, which is um, like 1200 ahead. Um, that's how much uh, the Jeez. dinner will cost you. And it, it and there's this whole thing about like the chef being this kind of chef that um, he doesn't just um, serve you food. There's like a theme running through the food, you know. But, you know, the example, and this was the best part of the movie was the descriptions of each dish. Um, so an example was he he does a bread plate but without the bread. <laughs> so <laughs> if it's something like that, so it has like the dips but no bread. So there's all these different like sauces and stuff and then, you know, there's all these talk about like gelling and, you know, it, it, it's that fancy bullshit of like, you know, um, you're, you barely are given any food that will, you know, fill you up. You know, it's just like a little leaf. And then some some drizzle over it or something like that, and and that's a salad. Uh, so um, yeah, so he's he's serving these dishes, and then you know obviously there's there's something else going on, and I I won't spoil it for everybody, but you know like there there's um there's an ulterior motive to this dinner and why everybody is there, and even like Anya Taylor Joy's character is fascinating because she is kind of I guess the the POV character in the movie. Um, and how she ended up there is interesting, you know, um, uh, and yeah, Ray Fiennes as well. Like, I think it, this is one of Ray Fiennes' better performances, and he's also kind of evoking Voldem- Voldemort a little bit. <laughs> it's like his most, like, Voldemortish uh, human uh, performance, I think. <laughs> uh, there's some elements of that. It's like Voldemort with the nose. Um. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's worth watching. But it's it's kind of a movie that's just like you need you only need to see it once and then you're done. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like something that if I see it on TV, I'm gonna stop everything that I'm gonna do right. to just watch it again. Like, there's not really, mm-hmm. I think, many that that's what it's lacking. It's like a memorable scene, you know, where I'm like, yeah. oh shit, it's that scene. I wanna like see that again, you know, and like what led mm-hmm. up to that or what happens after that scene. Like that, that that's I think what the movies. Um, lacking so yeah. yeah but it, it's worth the one shot you know uh, if you've never seen it, it it's still a fun night at the movies so well good yeah I'm good I'm happy happy you saw it yeah um, so I got one more thing in the quick cuts here okay um, and it is I thought of um, so on the last episode we were bringing up the idea of doing addendums where we, right. we, we kind of where we're re-mentioning a movie that we maybe mentioned on our previous app yeah. So I I wanted to do an addendum for this one, a okay. brief one, and it's and so I thought of a new segment, and it goes with our our food theme. Okay. So and so instead of an addendum, this is leftovers. Nice. So here we go. <laughs> it's time for movie food leftovers. Okay. Oh man, I love so, this. So yes. Yeah. So that 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 opening sound was like I, I found like a refrigerator opening sound. So that's that <laughs> fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's that. Oh, yeah. some foley. Okay. All right. Yeah, some foley on there. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I I, I want to do a little. I have a little leftovers on Halloween ends. Okay. So um, just uh, I just want to get in real quick because last up, I don't know if the listeners noticed. I was very sleepy. I was like in and out. I was kind of like reading my notes, but then like not getting to all of them. So. But I'm here now. I'm, I'm juiced up. I had a yerba mate a couple hours ago, so I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Perfect. So for Halloween ends, just a couple quick things that we didn't mention in that conversation. 
was so you know the new villain Corey Cunningham his initials are CC Michael Myers MM okay so it's like did they so like maybe they went for like a double letter thing in there mm-hmm. and then also alliterative Michael Myers Corey Cunningham yes. yeah exactly yeah exactly I like that yeah um and then so the the one thing I, I wanted to talk to you about so there's the scene in the sewer where Michael drags Corey into the pipe and into his home, grabs him by the neck, and they kind of have like some kind of like a bond. Yeah. What like what do you, what was your interpretation of that scene? Um, it, it's a weird thing because it, it, up to that point, like I feel like our sympathies are with him, with Corey, mm-hmm. um, and. In a way, just him kind of... Is this before he, he kills the the cop guy who was dating? The cop. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. This is when, like, like, Michael grabs him, and mm. there's, like, a moment where they lock eyes, and the, and you see, like... It's almost like Michael sees a flash of memories mm. in Corey. You know, like, yeah. like, you know, like he sees the kid fall and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, I mean, I guess... Uh, the. Uh, not knowing where this was going at, at that point, I was thinking um, he was, he's dead. You know, it's like, you know, you yeah. encounter Michael Myers. I, I don't know because I didn't see the previous one, why Michael Myers is in the sewer and why he's, he's that mm-hmm. disfigured. I, I, or maybe vaguely, cause there was like a, a bit of a flashback at the beginning of the movie. Right. Yeah. Did he, did the yeah. crowd like set him on fire or something? Like, is that what happened? Yeah. Basically at the end of Halloween kills, the crowd really kicks his ass. Like it's kind of like a big rah, rah moment yeah. like of like Haddonfield fighting back and they mm-hmm. like beat the, they really give it to him, but they didn't kill him. But then at, but then at the end, he like gathers himself and kills all of them. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Like, 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 like very, very superhero. Okay. And like, and okay. very like J- Jason Voorhees, right. like super like, yeah. So, so I think what you're supposed to think is that Michael, he's, he, if he is still a man, which mm. he is largely the, the big mystery, the shape, that's what even the actor is credited as at the end credits. He's known as the shape. He's not even Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's just been like licking his wounds and just hanging out and right. he maybe accomplished his goal of going back to his house and like that maybe and then after that he just is 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 done. I like it's, mm-hmm. it's it's very unclear and it's fun to talk about cuz like yeah. you don't know which is kind of the, the good thing about it. Right. So yeah, so 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 when he's like linking up with Corey, it, you know, some people like I've heard some interpretations that it's like he's transferring his evil into Corey. Oh, um, okay. You know, that, that like, because Michael's an old man and dying, he needs like a new host or something. Mm-hmm. But it's also that, but that, that also feels a little weak. Like it, it, like it could just be also, you know, Michael's the boogeyman and he sees that Corey, the town is already kind of like turning on Corey and kind right. of making a boogeyman out of Corey. Yeah. And so he maybe is like, he's sparing Corey because he's like, Oh, this, this guy's already a, a, another boogeyman. Gotcha. Like, like I, I like another potential <laughs> town. Yeah. Game recognizes game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> killer <And> so, recognizes killer. <laughs> Because, you know, Michael's killed a lot of bad people in the past and people right. who have, like, done 
things. And so it's like, and Corey, I don't think at that point is like evil. So right. I, I don't think he's, but it's, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's open to interpretation, right. which is I think the good thing, like nobody, like there's no old man or old book that they uncover that like explains it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, um, like that's the other fascinating thing you you brought up there is the um, who does Michael Myers kill in this movie? Like most of these these characters are evil people. Like, well, not evil, but they're just mean, or you know, mm-hmm. they, you kind of yeah. get the sense there's like a uh, you know, justice being served with, <laughs> and you're kind of rooting for Michael Myers to kill all these people, other than you know when he goes after Laurie at the end, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part it feels like you know the people who die who die in this movie deserved it <laughs> right you yeah know? Th- th- this movie's a little unique like well i guess it's 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 more t- it's more typical of like a later of a, like a later slasher movie where they introduce a bunch of characters that are like not likable mm. and so when they get dispatched you don't feel that bad yeah whereas like a lot of the first installment of movie of slashers the characters are more more likable, right? Know, or like you know, they, they like they didn't deserve it, you know, in like right. the first series or whatever. Yeah, or you know, playing by the scream rules of like, uh, right? You know, if you have sex, you're gonna die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of thing. You right. know, it doesn't matter where you you land on the moral scale, but yeah, yeah. if you have sex, you're gonna die. Okay. Oh man. Right. Okay. Um, a couple other quick hitters. Um, I thought, the, it, I thought the movie had good kills. Like yeah. there was a, a scene where they, I think Corey as Michael takes a blowtorch to that bully and like, <laughs> like blowtorches his like face. Oh, and man. then, and then there's like a scene where he's like, has the bag over the doctor's head and is like stabbing him with like a cork, I think a corkscrew or oh, something. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite, my personal favorite is the DJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, obviously with vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> continues really playing. <laughs> I, I um, love I, I I love a record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great use of a record. Right, and um, and I thought the cold open was actually pretty good. Mm. Like um, yeah, you know it was it was because you're because you're expecting Michael. You feel the tension when Corey's scared. You kind of are a little scared. Yeah, I thought the cold open was actually pretty yeah, interesting. I mean, there. Michael doesn't even show up until like an hour into the movie, right, or something like that. Like he, yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, yeah, it it, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. It, um, all right, and then also you mentioned um, that you. Li- I think you mentioned you liked Danny McBride's writing and that one potential. Line <laughs> I didn't say that- I liked it. I was just like I recognize that that's his writing. Like, oh, okay, that's, that's okay. totally okay, him. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I want I wanted to pull it because okay. it's it, it, it is kind of a classic. It, it is kind of the most memorable line in the movie. Like I don't know. Like I, f- I feel like it has some lasting. Power yeah, bring here. it, bring it. You know, you need to find someone that can let go. That makes you want to rip off your shirt and show grief your fucking tits and say, you know what? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it that she smashes onto the kitchen counter? What is I she making? I, I think she's cleaning out a pumpkin. So, uh, so I think oh. she's throwing a bunch of the pumpkin guts <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, so yeah. Classic. So so. so so you want to show grief your tits. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, rip your shirt open. <laughs> um, I'm all for it, man. Grief boning? Hell yeah. <laughs> heck yeah. And then w- one last thing for, for this uh, leftovers. We have a... Uh... Corrections and retractions. 
So right, yeah. um, in the right order, not in reverse. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's right. So la- last episode, we were wondering what it was that they throw Michael into at the end that grinds him up, and okay. I think on the episode we said it was a stone grinder. Uh huh. But it's a it, it's a metal grinder that's ah. that was at that the, they're at Corey's dad's recycling kind of parts yard. Mm. So it's like you know you throw you throw all all, all the pieces of, of yeah yeah metal that makes sense it because it up. they're yeah. yeah they're mechanics right so they yeah. have a lot of like scrap that they they need to yeah. throw out yeah, yeah okay exactly. all right okay that's a, a nice little segment I like that leftovers yeah. man yeah. So yeah, so if you ever like have like leftover notes, mm-hmm. you know, for for movies. Oh, it happens to me all the time. But I just, yeah, yeah, I always just feel like, oh man, if I didn't get it in that episode, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like somewhere in in my <laughs> iCloud, like you know, it's, yeah. it's just gonna remain there. But no, that's yeah. good to I know. Mean, so yeah, yeah. I really just wanted to play that quote, and then and then I and then no. I found a couple more things. Oh, yeah. fantastic! And yeah, this is crazy because we didn't really plan this out ahead of time like you know the way we we discuss episodes before we record is like vague kind of like skeletal stuff but it almost feels like everything we're discussing right now there's like an alley-oop to the next one so uh a movie i saw recently that was like a real standout uh i mean i don't know if it's gonna be in my best of the year but it it it's a definitely a memorable movie um and it's also about a killer uh, but oh. this time a real killer. Um, he was nicknamed the Spider Killer, and the movie's called Holy Spider. Okay. And um, you know, it was a sensation at Cannes. Um, the the lead actress, um, Zar Amir Ebrahimi, uh, won Best Actress. And um, and yeah, there were there were reports of people walking out of the screenings oh. because it 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 is really brutal i mean you know if you're saying you you got enjoyment yeah. out of the kills of halloween ends like yeah. there's no enjoyment of the kills in in holy spider like it really <sighs> shows like the you know because i guess i've never actually seen it in a movie portrayed this way before because usually when when people are being strangled in movies it's just like you know they they eventually lose consciousness and you know that's it they're dead mm-hmm. right but you know uh, what this movie shows, because it, it it doesn't cut away, it actually shows like you know their eyes like you know becoming bloodshot, and then you know like the veins starting to pop out on their neck and their the sides of their temples. Um, yeah, and it's just so brutal. And, and I mean, you know, I'm skipping ahead. So the the killer, um, and this is what makes it such a fascinating thing is that he only killed uh, prostitutes, and. Uh, this happened in Iran uh, in the early 2000s, and I, I forgot the name of the city. It's not the main, uh, the capital, Tehran. Right. It's it's like outside of it, but it's a very holy city. And Mashhad. Yes. Mashhad? Yeah. Yeah. That that's it. Um, and the reason yeah. the, that he felt like he justified the killings because he he said he was like cleansing the streets. Yeah. You know, like he 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 was doing it under the guise of religion, that he felt mm-hmm. like he was in the moral right. Um, to do it, and um, so yeah, that that's what he does, you know, and he, and he's like just this regular family man, and the guy who plays um the killer, uh, Medi Bajistani, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, I it's one of my favorite performances of the year. Like, damn, really okay. nuanced performance because you can tell like how he really embodied that whole feeling of 
you know, he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. You know, he really right. feels like religion gives him the right to to perform these killings. Um, and the other amazing thing about the film, it, it's directed by um, Ali uh, Abbasi. Uh, he had previously made this movie called Border. He's, he's Danish-Iranian. Um, and Border is like this weird kind of approach to immigration and uh, it... it it's set in kind of a sci-fi fantasy world where all the border agents look like, uh, you know, beastly creatures. <laughs> like they're, they actually look a lot like beast in the beauty and the beast TV show with, um, Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really dating myself. Yeah. If you will still remember that, <laughs> that series, uh, beauty and the beast. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Uh, what they look like. So, you know, that was like more fantastical, but this is, it's weird. It's like heightened reality because, you know, you have the kills which are very realistically done, but there's kind of like a a neon, like fluorescent lighting to the film. And like, yeah, the, there's a lot of like greens and pinks and reds, almost like Nicholas Winding Refn style. And um, yeah, I got to give a shout out to Nadim Carlson, the cinematographer, just incredible cinematography. That was one of the main things that kept me in it because it's just such a brutal film. And also how they um, uh, they don't try to hide the killer's identity. Like you pretty much know right. he's the killer from the beginning, um, and it, it's all about just like these two um, things about the clash because it's about like uh, they they basically made a fictional journalist, which is the one who's played by Zar Ami Ebrahami Himi, and like um, how they're they're eventually you know their two plot strands are gonna collide, and the two characters are gonna collide. Um, and yeah, she, she really gives an incredible performance. Um, it might not be my, going to be at the end of the year, my favorite performance. Uh, but you know, it's great. It's a very fearless performance. Like there's, there's the tension of the killer in the movie, but there's also the tension of what she has to deal being a single woman. And, you know, like they won't even let her stay at the hotel that she, (coughs) Sorry. Yeah. So there's this whole thing of like um uh she has to deal with um uh all the nonsense of of being a single woman um because you know I I guess the implication is you know if you're a single woman and you're trying to check into a hotel that you may be a prostitute, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And then yeah. You know, it's so relevant cuz this was made before obviously what's going on in Iran right now. One of the things that yeah. they they get on her case for is like not wearing her hijab properly that she's not covering enough of her hair mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like strangely relevant to what's going on right now you know um yeah, totally yeah so a movie set in the past but like reflecting the present um yeah so yeah really incredible movie again it might not be like something i'd rewatch, but it, it's some powerful shit like i mean um cool yeah, I, I I think uh the closest m- movie I would compare it to is um uh Christoph Koslowski's uh, a short film about a killing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that also has a a very brutal murder or two murders if you <laughs> you count that. And and the score by uh, Mart- uh Martin uh Dierkov is incredible too. So yeah, Holy Spider, the uh, the polar opposite of serial killers <laughs> from <Yeah>. from Halloween. <laughs> the, well, good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, is it uh, available on streaming? 
Um, uh, I not right now. I think I I, right. I was able to get like an advanced uh, screener for it. Um, oh, cool. but yeah, I think eventually it's going to. I I, nice. I don't know when they're planning to release it because um, I mean you know it's not really a Christmas movie, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean they they want it to be eligible for the Oscars, so I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh. We'll see. Maybe they'll do oh, that wow. that thing of just like releasing it at the ver at the tail end of the year, like after Christmas. Um, yeah, that last week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, that um, sounds good. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if if you have the stomach for it, it's worth checking out. Sure. Um, I have a rare one. Two Scott takes, <laughs> not just oh. one. I got two. Okay, here we go. Scott take. All right, Carlo, what you got? Okay, so my first Scott take is I am really, really annoyed with A24's um, decision to release uh, The Eternal Daughter the way that they are. So The Eternal Daughter is the new film by Joanna Hogg, who I'm a big fan of. You know, I mean, obviously, like uh, when we started this this podcast, uh, the, the very first episode when I was um, discussing my favorite films of the year the souvenir part two was up there so she made like a secret film within a year with uh with this movie called the eternal daughter starring tilda swinton mm-hmm. and the way that a24 decided to release it you know they're one of the biggest distributors and you know they have their legion of fans but for some reason like they're really giving joanna hogg the short shrift and you know i'm biased here but like i really do think joanna hogg is the best filmmaker that they have on their roster of directors Mm -hmm. and so what they decided to do they're they're releasing it in LA and New York uh, theatrically and then video on demand everywhere else and that's it like it's not going to get a theatrical release anywhere near me Um, even like to go to LA it's like in the farthest points of LA like I think one is in Santa Monica and the other one's in Glendale (laughs) it's like there's nothing more central or even like downtown like, yeah. yeah, so um, so yeah, really disappointed because it, it, it's one of my most anticipated movies. So I might have to just shell out and uh, get the um, the video on demand. And it, it's it's crazy too how um, the rental and the to own it are the same price. So why not just oh. buy it outright? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's still the okay. cost of a regular movie ticket is like fifteen bucks. Um. Yeah, more on Amazon. Actually, I just looked. It, it's twenty bucks on Amazon to rent it. So, like, like why would a twenty four do that? Is it? Is there like a um kind of an interesting logic to it? I I feel like it, it's just because um Joanna Hogg's movies don't make any money. Like all mm. all her movies that they've released that I've watched, like the the two souvenir um movies in particular, like mm-hmm. I, they've been playing to empty theaters. You know, um, yeah. um, so I think they're just realizing, like, yeah, let's just cut our losses. We know most of our audiences are in the two major cities and uh, everywhere else, you know, just uh, watch it on demand. So, but yeah, I mean, I can't not see it, you know, it's like yeah. uh, also because I think um, as we're wrapping up the year, I'm I'm just searching for more of those gems, you know, like I, I started yeah. off the year so well like it was a bit of a hot streak and then it kind of fizzled out like after yeah. summer so mm-hmm. um yeah i i need the, these late ones to come in cuz uh there haven't been many uh this, you know wrap wrapping up this year but you know who yeah, knows totally. maybe avatar the way of the water is a total masterpiece or babylon 
Mm-hmm. Sure. So yeah. So, yeah, yeah, um, is, uh, yeah. Like I'm curious. Yeah, is I remember you really were into Carter. Is Carter still s- snuffling around in like your top? Oh yeah, for three, sure. Five. Yeah, cool. but I, 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 this is I guess um, maybe I'm having some sort of identity crisis or something, but um. <laughs> You know, uh, I am very conscious of my list, and you know, this is gonna lead into mm. our next segment after I do my yeah. second Scott take. But um, uh, you know, it, I have been leaning towards like, you know, the a lot of these big bombastic like spectacle films, and you know, yeah. that might continue with those two movies I just mentioned. Um, but um, uh, you know, there, there's still a part of me that yearns for something like quiet. And just like mm-hmm. beautiful to look at, like something that I can, you know, have as like, um, you know, the same way like ambient music works, you know. Totally. Um, those are my my favorite types of cool. films, you know. And like my going over my list right now, my working list, uh, which you guys will have to wait till next year uh, yep. <laughs> to see or hear about. Right. Um, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of those types of movies. Like, I, I mean, from from what we've discussed this year um on the pod like i think the only movie that kind of fits that criteria of like kind of a gentle ambient film is um uh the uh le olympiade you know the the black and mm-hmm. white um french film that's based on the adrian tomine um yeah uh strips so um but yeah other than that like a lot of my favorite movies were just like big bombastic spectacle films but you know maybe it's me evolving like this is me growing up in old age and instead of mellowing out i'm getting more intense so yeah (laughs) Yeah. okay cool yeah um yeah so my second scott take actually is also a bit of a leftover from um from previous episode it's actually a leftover from a carlos canon so uh Whoa. yeah so it's a scott take but it's a leftover and it's a carlos can yeah it's so all tied in i don't know which jingle to press <laughs> i wonder Just if all I can three play at all, the same time all three at once whoa oh that's pretty good oh man okay, okay. yeah I this is a rarity I didn't, re- I didn't realize I-, I could do them all at once that's yeah awesome. that's crazy okay so this is a triple crown so um, uh, a leftover from a Carlos Cannon, <laughs> which is also a Scott take, is that uh, we had discussed um, Love and Mercy, the the Brian Wilson, uh, the movie about the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, and a specific mm-hmm. period in his life. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I was getting into the Beach Boys around that time, but I had not really listened to the album Smile in full. And, you know, it's one of those legendary kind of, like, lost albums. Like, you know, there's, like, there's a version of it, which is the um, uh, the Smile Sessions, which is basically, like, I guess the closest that we can get to what he was aiming for. And I think Brian Wilson, even in the mid-2000s, released an album called Smile, but I don't know how related they are. Um, and then uh, the version that actually did come out around that time, and they did... Uh, the Beach Boys actually released it on their own record label. Uh, it's called um, Smiley Smile. And oh. uh, long story short, I, I found a copy of it like at a record store that was like doing their kind of... They do it, I guess, a couple of times a year. Like They do this sale where everything's like 50% off. And their records are already cheap. It's like they sell stuff for like 10 bucks, And mm-hmm. I found it in the $5 bin, so it ended up being 250 <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and i i was immediately like drawn to the um 
uh, to the art, the album artwork of Smiley Smile, you know, and and the whole thing is that it has this reputation of being like a lesser album, like you know there. I remember um, yeah. uh, one description that you might get a kick out of Steve of the album was that it was a bunt instead of a home run. Yeah, <laughs> like that was one of the the reviews of the album, I and yeah. I gotta say, man, it's incredible. Like oh, <laughs> I'm good. obsessed. Like I've been playing the album like on repeat for uh, I mean th- th- it's been almost a month now, um, and uh, yeah, I'm just totally obsessed with it. And the pressing that I have isn't even like the best pressing of the album. It's actually like uh, mm-hmm. I think the second repress. It's not even the first uh, pressing and. But something about it, even the flaws of it, help it. Because um, when I was looking at the Wikipedia page for it, it was saying that it was like a very effective album for people like coming down off of an acid trip. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And, and the version that I have, which people like much maligned, they're like, oh, it's such a lifeless, you know, flat recording, um, is because it, it's actually pretty muffled. Like, especially mm. like Heroes and Villains, uh, the first track on the album it sounds like it it was recorded in another room like you know it's like a second generation recording Mm -hmm. but it sounds incredible and like there's even a track that's um it sounds like it's only a stem it's an instrumental track called um fall breaks and back to winter and then in parentheses uh the w woodpecker symphony (laughs) and it's like this really dissonant track and you know, I guess the Scott take yeah. part of this is that I actually think this is the Beach Boys' best album. Like it's Dang. better than Pet Sounds. Okay. Yeah, and it's better Dang. than the Smile Sessions. Like I really think I, Smiley Smile is their their masterpiece. Yeah. Okay, I I gotta give this a, a shot again. I, like I listened, you know, I've I've listened to some of it um, mm-hmm. a while a while ago. Yeah, cool. I mean, l- listen to that specific track, the Fall Breaks and Back to Winter um, track, which is instrumental. It's just cool man so yeah that's the that's the triple crown (laughs) scott take leftover um carlos cannon so beautiful yeah fall breaks and back to winter they yeah that kind of reminds me of uh like over the garden wall or something exactly yeah that's true there's another interesting tie-in and yeah the whole woody woodpecker thing i mean yeah it's just Mm -hmm. cartoons and yeah Cool. cool all right so uh yeah let's 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 head into the big one so carlos cannon Yes, here we go. Carlos All right. All right. So, yeah, don't worry, guys. This one isn't going anywhere or getting a name change. I think we're going to keep this one. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just want to get one movie out of the way uh, before we get into the meat of this. But um, there was hmm. one movie I saw, and I don't even know if it, it's considered to be a movie. It, it may just be like an art project. And I can't remember. Like, I, I guess I found it on a whim. Um, uh, and it's it's called Surveillance Cameraman. <laughs> That's the <laughs> title of, of 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 the it. Well, okay. So, just a brief background. It was actually originally like these these separate videos that were uploaded on YouTube, and then eventually it got taken down. You know, and it's it's because of the the combative, um, transgressive nature of the video. So, what this guy is doing is he's basically just going up to people and just starts filming them. And then people are wow. like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm just taking a video. And they're like, why? And he's like, why not? <laughs> and he's yeah. just like totally deadpan. And, you know, it, 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 
it goes beyond just like you know somebody in public. Uh, sometimes he'll go into a classroom, or like um, you know at a library, or you know sit on, on the same table as somebody who's like at a Starbucks, you know. And it's just crazy how it escalates. Like people just get really violent with him, and yeah. you know um, because. And then there, there's even one point where he kind of tips his hand a little bit because most of the time, you know, you, you don't know who this guy is totally uh, um, uh, anonymous. And um, he kind of says, well, you know, you go to a grocery store, right? You know, there's cameras everywhere. You're being filmed all the time, you know, but yeah. why is it a problem that I'm here? And it's just that whole thing of like, we've come to just accept that we're being surveilled all the time. But like, it's not cool if it's a person who's right there in front of us it's the fact that it's a camera with a man <laughs> holding man, it yeah 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 what is that um yeah it's 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 more personal or mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i guess i guess it it would feel more combative or yeah something yeah that's and, interesting and you know i mean it is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine i do enjoy like videos of people confronting each other <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that, that that is a a thing that happens oh and uh, the the uh, before I forget to like maybe we can just have this as like a um, an epilogue to the episode uh, I'll tell the story of, of how I got racially profiled at a Barnes and Noble but oh yeah good. Uh, but yeah it's just like you know um, I guess one kindred spirit of it is um, uh, uh, Cartnarks do you know that that channel on YouTube I, I don't know that one oh man you would get a kick out of this because they okay. they also film a lot in LA so you might even recognize cool. some of these parking oh, lots fine. So yeah. Cartnarks, basically all they do is just they hold people accountable for not returning your shopping carts to the um, <laughs> the cart corral. That's it. And then people also get very aggressive and violent about it. And, yeah. you know, they make the, the all these excuses. Um, you know, totally. like popular excuses are, oh, that's not my job. There's That's somebody else's job to return the carts or... You know, I'm really tired. I'm I'm lazy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, no, they won't say they're lazy, but you know, it's like they. And so, but the thing that really triggers people too with the cartnarks is that, uh, they have like these uh these magnets that they can attach to your car, which basically says, "I didn't return my cart. I'm a lazy bones." And there's a oh, wow. a lazy bones hotline that they call, and people get so pissed. It's like you know, take that off my car. You know, <laughs> and. <laughs> And yeah, it gets really violent, you know, it's like crazy. Like, and then, you know, uh, yeah. and these guys are fearless, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, I see the same thing in surveillance cameraman. Like he gets chased down by people, you know, it's just wild. Like I, I think one yeah. of the wildest ones is there's this guy at the laundromat and I guess he's just waiting for his laundry to be done. And he's sitting at a table. Maybe he's like drinking like water out of paper cup. Mm-hmm. And when <laughs> the surveillance cameraman comes up to him, he just like loses it. He flips the table over and then just like runs towards it. It was like, get the fuck yeah. away from me. And yeah. I was like, wow. And you know, it's just this whole thing. Of, I, I guess, you know, the origin for me of like my fascination with this was subway confrontations in New York, you know, because it, it's just like this whole thing of, I don't know, in, in a weird way, it's still something communal that brings people together, you know, even though it's... it's for, <laughs> Totally. Yeah, it's stemming from negative energy. Um, yeah. And that that's the sense I got from this. And the thing that really elevated it for me, and, you know, it, this is kind of like a last-minute addition for me. I wasn't even going to put this in until, like, you know, today, but I just mm-hmm. can't stop thinking about it, especially because... um. 
the way that the video that I got a copy of was um, structured, like because you know these were originally just random YouTube videos, but the way the, the way it's edited is incredible because there's like this cumulative power you get and like mm-hmm. um th- it's it's funny too because like the, there's <laughs> there's a part where he um he keeps going back to this like mahjong parlor <laughs> it's like he, he's so stubborn he already knows what they're going to do and, <laughs> and he, wow. he he keeps coming back and yeah, it's just wild. And I I got into like the whole lore about it because you know there's videos about that, and then like how other people have tried to copy it, but it's not like the same. And then right. it, it led me to another YouTube channel, um, uh, where people have theories that it's the same guy. It's called um Vagrant Holiday, but I don't know. I feel like the Vagrant Holiday guy is more personable. Like, mm-hmm. but they they're saying like, oh no, their voices sound the same, you know. And we never see them because Vagrant Holiday. It's all about a guy who like basically illegally, you know, goes to places and you know like trespasses and you know spends the night like say in a you know um, an old mental hospital you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Like he uh, yeah one of his most famous videos which has like over a million views is um a Forbidden Island where he goes to this um, prison island off the coast of Seattle. And um, it, it's basically for, like, the most dangerous criminals, like, uh, especially, like, um, you know, um, uh, PDOs. <laughs> I mean, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. PDOs. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to say it and get us, um, you know, uh, yeah, flagged or something. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. like, uh, yeah, so those types of people, like, the worst of the worst criminals. So sure. this island apparently used to be like residential people used to live there, but then eventually like, you know, the I guess the local government just said, "Now we're just going to make it a prison island like Alcatraz." Mm-hmm. So he goes there. And then, you know, he he tries to trespass um <laughs> but he, he he um uh, he goes through like all these abandoned houses and stuff and it, it's just crazy. And you know, like he he really um he, he he's planned it out like he brings like a sleeping bag you know um he uh he has like his uh, military kind of like meal kits and stuff in mm-hmm. his backpack and he knows like because wow. he had he, to um he paddled there on a canoe <laughs> from, from wow. seattle's he's coast like, yeah he's like a prank survivalist or yeah something. yeah th- these videos are so addicting i mean his first video is amazing too it's called riot holiday which was like basically when all the you know the the riots were happening like in in the summer or no i guess it was still like kind of winter of 2020 or maybe fall well he's in seattle so it's hard to tell what the weather was yeah, like sure. uh or what time of year it was but yeah when when a lot of those riots were happening he was filming it you know and uh, that was yeah cuz uh, i guess people also got restless from you know the lockdowns totally. um but yeah surveillance cameraman like in that form of of that comp compiled like omnibus form that i saw it in i i just like i can't stop thinking about it like i wrote a really long review of it on letterbox yeah. and nobody liked it <laughs> oh sure <laughs> but i, I get yeah, yeah i i can see like how and i mentioned this in the review like people might like take a moral stance to it of like you know why is he like getting into people's personal spaces and stuff like that but it's just yeah how it escalates is just so fascinating to me i, I don't know I'm with you. I I like seeing people get angry. Mm-hmm. Um, just in general, <laughs> like I think because it's hard for me to access my own anger. It's gotcha. like it feels really cathartic to see other people <laughs> get angry, and to kind of you know, and to kind of it sounds like 
what this guy is capturing is that there's anger and there's like an energy underneath, like right underneath so many people. Right. It's, yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like itching to get out mm-hmm. and it just has to be provoked. And a lot of it comes out obviously in like uh road rage, you yeah, know, in cars, absolutely. like, you know, like you really see it a lot, but I guess, yeah, just sitting and someone puts a camera on you. It's like, it, yeah, I guess it can be right there unless you're like totally chilled out, which yeah. I think a lot of people aren't. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that phrase that people say of like, you know, um, uh, don't be so quick to judge or something like that to somebody because you don't know what they're going mm-hmm. through. You know, right. it, it, it's that kind of thing because it, it really uncovers whatever it may be. I mean, one of the most, like, you know, almost every single interaction he has in this compilation is, is remarkable, but there's ones that stand up head over shoulders above the other ones. And one of them is just this girl who's outside of Seattle. I mean, I mean outside of a Starbucks and, She's just like, uh, dude, I'm I'm having a really bad day. Like, you know, this is the last yeah. thing I need, you know. Um, and then he 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 just sits in front of her, and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, you know, it, it really escalates. And then she she starts to become sarcastic with him, and you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I I don't think she was one of the ones who become violent. It's really more the men who become violent towards yeah. him, you know, it's, it's really, well, yeah, yeah. You, you really get that. Like guys, guys like at, at the core, mm-hmm. they don't want to be made fun of. They don't want to be dominated. They don't want to be, um, inferior. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be like the butt of anything. Yeah. And so like any, any potential, you know, you know, interaction that they can interpret that way. Yeah, is like is a reason to go for a lot of people, and so it's like it's really interesting that it's like it comes down right. Um, you know, it's a it's like a a chain reaction that yeah. they that they don't even maybe know is there. Yeah, you know what I mean, and one of the videos I saw about surveillance cameraman, it was also saying that it might be some sort of primal evolutionary thing of just like you know you have to defend yourself and you you feel like you're you're backed into a corner. And that's just how males would react, you know, especially if you, you were with somebody who you feel you need to protect or mm-hmm. yourself, you know, that's how you yeah. you lash out, you know. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, okay, so I, I got to send you the link to this one. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'd like, uh, yeah. yeah. I think I, I definitely want to see it. It, yeah. it, for some reason, it reminds me of there's a fairly famous Quentin Tarantino. Yes, I know what you're talking video about. Video clip. <laughs> What is this? Where, what is where, what, what, yeah, it's like a pop it, it's like you're you're made to think it's like a paparazzi kind of dude right. or but it could just be a fan like I don't know. I think it's paparazzi. Um, I think Okay, so yeah. it's a paparazzi. He was, so um, someone's taking a video. Yeah, he's yeah. at Sundance and I think yeah. he's he's leaving his uh his hotel and then they ambush mm-hmm. him. And yeah. Like, what the fuck is this? What is this? Like he yeah. does this hand movement that's hilarious in the video. Yeah. <laughs> And then he yeah. like kicks the guy, yeah. And then he and then he instantly feels bad, and then he starts kind of like insecurely talking to him again, yeah. You know, after yeah. after he kicks after he yeah. kicks him or whatever, yeah. And he's wearing this um, giant coat, like this giant pump. coat, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like what it, what it just reminds me of is like 
I don't necessarily know what the situation is. I I understand the paparazzi that, that the paparazzi's cross a lot of lines and they can mm. be really annoying. But it it it's it feels so good to see someone get angry. Like re- <laughs> regardless, it's it's something yeah. you know. It's something basic in me. Mm-hmm. I think it's basic in a lot of people. Sure. You know, it's all it, you know. It you know it, it, a kernel of that is in the Jackass films. You know, mm. when they're doing like the man on the street stuff. Right. It's just, yeah. It feels good to see. <laughs> someone get provoked and it's yeah. like i don't know why it just is you yeah know? i mean we can even trace that lineage down to um eric andre yeah yeah <laughs> like that's yep. what he's yeah. doing so yeah, yeah but man yeah. surveillance cameraman yeah i mean right. uh, if you have the stomach for it and you're you're willing to not morally grandstand <laughs> you know it, it's worth watching yeah yeah i'm down all right, so the other thing in Carlos' canon, which is uh, the bigger conversation we're going to have before we head to our main course, right. uh, was uh, kind of a, uh, I guess, a, a bit of controversy, at least in the, the film Twitter yeah. World, world. Yeah, let's get into world. it. All yeah. right, so um, Sight and Sound slash BFI released their uh, once in a decade uh, greatest films list. And mm-hmm. uh, people... Um, had some reactions uh, what was your reaction steve um so my overall reaction was you know i'm scrolling through it i'm like okay i don't know this one i don't know this one. Oh, cool uh you know like it was nice to see a couple of the classics on there like the shining and um you know even like a good fellows and you know like mm-hmm. but then once i get to the top five yeah. i'm like that makes sense that makes sense i've never heard of it so <laughs> Um, that's kind of where I like spent most of my time was like trying to get a sense of, okay, what is this Gene Dealman and mm. why have I ne- never heard of it? I'm sure you, you're well-versed cause I, f- I feel like you've brought up Chantel Ackerman. Of course. Before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that, that's the wild thing about it is that, yeah, the, the number one was a big thing. And then also the inclusion of, of more recent films, um, uh, that like you know it's like they haven't been even out for a decade and why do they uh, merit inclusion and just to be clear Steve have you ever sure. seen this list before like have you seen like the 2012 list or the 2002 list I mean like it doesn't ring a bell okay. but I you know but 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 from reading about the list it seems like th- these are the people that have promulgated that Casablanca is the best movie or that Citizen Kane is the best yeah yeah i mean and so so like i i'm aware that those movies are thought of as the best right um and that it came from some sort of list yeah 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 and and i mean this is where i think a lot i mean the 92 list was really where citizen kane rests its um you know its reputation for being um the greatest film of all time and i think i i forgot if it was i think it was the 2012 list where there was that shift to Vertigo when Vertigo <laughs> replaced it in number yeah. one. But this is even more seismic because at least, you know, with Citizen Kane and Vertigo, people have seen this movie. Not a lot of people have, shot, have, have seen Jean Dielman. And um, for good reason. It's, it's, it's a three and a half hour long movie. And a lot of people, including Bill Scurry, who is a famous, like, hater of that film. Yeah, and will Bill. take <laughs> any opportunity to shit on it. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it, to most people, it's a film where nothing happens for for three and a half hours. You know, um, right. it, it's basically 
a housewife um, mm-hmm. or supposedly a housewife. And I don't want to spoil it because I think that's part of the movie is that there's something right. else going on there. But the fact that it dedicates so much time to her doing household chores is what frustrates yeah. people that like, you know, th- there's like scenes on, on end where she's like just peeling potatoes or, right. you know, um, boiling water, <laughs> you yeah, know, and like- it, yeah, there's like famous clips of her like marin like marinating some meat or or yes, something too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you actually are there with her in that process. Right. And like the whole right. movie only takes place during the course of an entire day. So you feel the day passing. It's like, you know, the start of her day and it ends in the evening. So she has a son and you know, the sun goes out and he comes back later on and you feel that time. And I think that's the point that maybe some people get, but they're like, why is this a movie? Is that right. and the reason why it's so revolutionary is because it, it well, for one, Chantal Ackerman, when she made it, she was only 25 years old. Yeah. Like so young and she was making such a mature film. And this is what I guess creates a divide is that people are like, oh, you have to get it on an intellectual level, that it's about women's time. And how that's portrayed in the film and Mm -hmm. that, you know, um, I mean, in this day and age, actually, like, there's that thing of defending the film is almost like, oh, if if you don't get that, then you're sexist, you know, something like that, you know, or you're you're a misogynist. And it's like that's a good trap. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I hate how modern movies do that. Like they 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 use that as their defense that it's like they they try to insert these things and you know that was a lot of the hot takes even like Paul Schrader who admits that it's a great film um is a like, you know it, it, the the place cuz some people even had issue even if they loved the movie they had an issue with it being number 1 like uh one of my friends who I eventually want to get as a guest on this pod is uh Marcus Pin and he had posted mm-hmm. something on Twitter he's Pinland Empire and he said um that yeah it's just like all the the hot takes are going to come out now because it's number 1 and people are going to be justifying how much they hate the movie you know and that that kind of thing and that's kind of where Paul Schrader was leaning more towards uh, mm. but he he worded it differently it was like something about wokeism like that's why they place it number 1 not because it really merited it and then you know another thing that complicates that idea is that you know Chantal Ackerman passed away in 2015 um and uh you know sadly too um by suicide so um so there's that aspect of it too like paying tribute to her and it, that's not her only film that's on the list by the way there's two other films uh i think it's uh, news from home and um uh shit i'm blanking on the other movie um but yeah news from home is definitely on there too which i actually mm-hmm. think is a better film and i uh I have immense respect for John Dealman, but it's not a film that like you only really need for me. I only really need to see it once, you know. Right. And it's not like okay, I get it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it it it's just the thing of like I it, it's not. Uh, and I guess this is what we'll get into into the bigger, larger context of the list and why people are reacting so much to it. So I think people are con- conflating greatest with favorites. And then for me, there's a third category, which is what inspires me. So um, I would be willing to admit, like, I think greatest leans towards objective. Favorite is subjective and inspiration is like subjective, but it's on another level. 
you know when you're creative like there's just these things right. that you you turn to and like you draw inspiration from um and i feel like yeah john dealman falls under greatest for me like if it's it's definitely there and rankings i don't really give a shit about. i mean yeah. we we did this yeah. about the 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 indie wire um 100 yeah, list indie wire one yeah. yeah like rankings don't mean shit to me and then i you know um that's my main problem too is that uh, and i learned this early on cuz i actually participated in a poll um for uh i can't remember if it was well i've, I've participated in a couple polls one was like um i think uh there was another list that came out which was like the greatest films of the 21st century which people thought was absurd because we're not even done <laughs> with yeah. the 21st century so why is there even that why does that list exist so it was like a <laughs> a facebook group that i was invited to and there were actually some famous people on that group and they all like provided their own submissions and then I, I did one on the auteurs early on. And this was like early in my cinephilia. Like I didn't even really know myself that much. Uh, and I think we were doing like, I guess, best of the decade. And that was like 2000s um, to 2010. Uh, so we were doing a list. And this is what I got from that uh, experience of both of them is basically polls suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, it, it it's this group think and then, you know, all the, 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 the stuff, especially when it comes to art, it the the most popular stuff is gonna rise to the top, you know, and then mm-hmm. the, all the individuality is gone. And right. you know, I it is remarkable that the sight and sound list put such an individual film as John Dealman to the top. But yeah, there's just so many films there, especially when you're so deep into um cinephilia that it's like yeah these are the tried and tested and you know um as soon as i got past that because you know we we go through those phases like you know that and it does have value like if you're still just getting into movies this is a great start or like um uh the afi 100 you know these films but you know like i i also don't get the whole thing of like trying to complete these as like a checklist you know, because right. you don't need to see everything, <laughs> and you don't have yeah. to like everything. Um, uh, so yeah, I I, I really have a an, an issue with you know lists where it's like multiple contributors. I'm more interested in personal canons. That's why you know we have that segment of Carlos Canon yeah. here because totally. like you know I and you know I brought that earlier with like coming up with my my favorites of the year, and I, that's why I lean more towards favorite, not saying like the best of the year. I say favorite yeah. because like it's completely subjective. I'm not being objective about it at all. Um and yeah, that's really it. It's just like it 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 it's going to come up with these lists where Citizen Kane or Vertigo or um Casablanca as you mentioned or The Godfather, they're all going to be like they're going to rise to the top of these lists because, right. you know, those are the most common. And it was just yeah. so much more fascinating to me to see the directors like uh, like somebody on Twitter is actually posting all the directors' individual ballots because oh. you, you could only get it in the print version of Sight and Sound like they didn't publish it on the website. Um, nice. Yeah, so you get like the 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 interesting ones like you know and and they the guy who's posting it will even highlight like oh this was a unique vote like nobody else voted for this like for example like Nina Menkes. Like she voted for uh, Nope, <laughs> Jordan feels up. We just came out this Whoa. year. Yeah, it's on her list, you know. Or like, um, yeah, I think Don Hertzfeld is one of my favorite like animation directors. Like, uh, he's got Errol Morris on his list, and he didn't make it to the top one hundred. 
you know, so... Um, oh, I should also distinguish, by the way, that the director's poll is separate from the main poll that we're talking about here. The You know, the, that list is... Um, they have their own list. But again, when you see that list, it's pretty boring too. Because it's yeah. just... Um, you know, it's just like a lot of safe picks, you know, that's really it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're just getting started, you're just getting into movies. Okay. This is a good place to start, but I, that is, I think the main contention with it is, um, uh, I think people are conflating favorites with great greatest <laughs> films and yeah, there, there's always going to be that issue of like, oh, why was this like, cause you know, there was the omissions and, um, the additions, you know, it's like obviously when you're adding something like Get Out or um, Portrait right. of a Lady or Fire on Fire and Parasite, you're going to leave some, you know, uh, one of the more notable ones is Godfather Part 2, which I think is better than the the first mm-hmm. Godfather. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so from this list, Steve, did were there any films that like were like, oh, I, I, I think I should go see that, like that stood out to you that you want to like fill that blind spot? Oh God! I mean, there's so many. I mean, a lot of the Japanese ones like always look. I don't know. The, the, there's something intriguing about those. Like, I think I would like to see some of these, like Tokyo Story. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I I love Ozu. I mean, Ozu is is fantastic. But I I will say though, like again, it's it's not the contradictory part of me. It's just that I feel like the films that a lot of directors are best known for are not my favorites of theirs. Yeah. So like Tokyo story, you know, it was fine. Like I remember too, when I first saw that because of its reputation, you know, I was like, man, this was just like, okay. <laughs> I, you right. know, and I was, I was young and kind of, you know, cocky and obnoxious too. But, uh, but then I, I got into his other films and I was just like, no, nah, these are great. <laughs> you know, Whoa. Um, oh, the, the the one that I that I feel like I even had on the list for this season of movie food that I mm. I still have not seen is Apocalypse Now. Oh, dude, like the, okay. the, that, that looks like that's number nineteen. Yes. Okay. Let let let's uh, when you get yeah. to that, um, yeah, let's do an episode on Apocalypse Now because cool. um, yeah, because yeah, because yeah, I would love to see it. It's like yeah. I just have never gone around. And you to know it. they 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 filmed that in the Philippines, right? I did not know that. No way. Yes. Cool. Yeah, they did. Okay. So all the cast playing Vietnamese people are, are Filipinos. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's always yeah. surprising to see movies like, you know, like like Mulholland Drive is eight. You know, mm-hmm. like movies that it's like, for sure they're good. And it, I, I guess it just falls into the category of like, this is what happens when you create a ranking. Is that it's mm. like, well, why is it at eight? Um, yeah. Where and, do you think it should be though? I mean, I think it should be around, um, you know, I, I would maybe in like the, the 20s or 30s, uh, you know, it's it's That's like still pretty high. It, yeah, it's like I definitely liked the movie. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like super interesting. And it's one of those movies, that, you know, that it sticks with you and you're like trying to figure it out and break it down later. And like I've caught myself looking at websites trying to map out what it all means. You know what I mean? So it's like. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you got the early DVD too, it had like David Lynch's clues. <laughs> remember yeah. those? The 10 clues. <laughs> yeah. Like remember what, what's the significance of the red lampshade? <laughs> right. Like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was fun. You know, I mean, that was the first David Lynch movie I saw um, in the in the theater, you know, cause I, I turned 17 the year right. it came out. So that right. was my first R rated uh, movie that I yeah. went to go see alone. 
Yeah, because like I know people love Blue Velvet, but like I can't yes. get into it. Like it's for some reason it's wow. just like it's like like I can watch it, but I'm a little like I don't know. I'm a little antsy watching it. It's, it's like not sure. quite not quite the pace I want it to be or something. Yeah. Whereas Mulholland, it's like it's like I totally get the vibe. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the the other thing is, you know, now in retrospect, we can kind of see that Blue Velvet was kind of a dry run for Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm, you know, right. there, there's yeah. a lot of elements in that that are setting up. Right. And um, yeah, it, it's crazy to think. Like I I I, I revisit David Lynch's films often, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I have to say, like you know, that that was another trend on Twitter. It's like what what's the most normie film mm-hmm. opinion you have? And one of them is that, yeah, Mulholland Drive is my favorite David Lynch movie. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's just I'll never forget the first time I saw it in the theater. And um, it just sends me to that, you know, that moment. It still mm-hmm. feels special every time it begins. I I mean, yeah, I already have the Criterion Blu-ray, but I even, cont- uh, you know, thought about potentially double dipping and buying the 4K so I don't even have a 4k player like it's yeah. just preparing for the future or something um but yeah like I I recently bought lost highway and I was just seeing and there was part of me that wanted that to become my David Lynch my yeah. my favorite David Lynch but I don't know Mohan drive just has it you know yeah. it's just like that totally that girl it. you can't forget you know? yeah it's just like oh man um yeah, it's, yeah okay. it's, it, it's really good that one's really mm-hmm. good. Um, I will say like, I, I am intrigued to see Jean Dielman. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, it's, it's, it, it seems like what's special about it is both like Chantel Ackerman, like, like how she came up with it and yeah. just did it and like not necessarily wanting it to be like thought of as like the greatest movie of all time, but she, mm-hmm. she, it was just an idea that she thought was really rich. It came to her and she pulled it off. And, um, and so it's like the triumph of that. It's like the triumph of like, you can have an idea, it be unique. And if you just, you know, pull it off, you know, it's, you know, it's like in like all the shots look good. Like it's Mm -hmm. got decent, decent enough cinematography and decent enough. Oh no, um, (laughs) it's incredible cinematography. Like like the lighting, I guess at times it looks like the lighting is a little dark, but maybe the, Mm. That's just, that's just it, like it's the part of um, yeah, and that's also like part of how the day progresses, you right. know. So it starts off dark and then it it, it becomes brighter and then it, it gets okay. dark again. Okay. Um. So you feel that that time passing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it it really leans more toward art than entertainment. That's really it. I mean, you know, you go to a museum, you don't expect to be entertained, even though some right. works of art can be entertaining, but. Like it definitely helps to know the context yeah. of it, you know. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, it, it's a strong argument for seeing it in the theater because if if you're at home, you're you're gonna get distracted. Gonna, like, there's no way. I'm gonna scrub through it for sure. Yeah, you know? yeah. You, whereas yeah. like, whereas like, you can't help but then, but I think feel the emotion of it after mm-hmm. spending hours. You know, it's it's like bonding yeah. with a person. No, you bring up an interesting point because that that's actually how it feels when you go. Like you know, I've been to several screenings of like long movies. You you end up like bonding with the people you go see them with, <laughs> right. because you know you're yeah. you're in the theater for so long, and then it's like after that experience, you want to talk to somebody about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's different from like, oh wow, did you see that amazing thing? It's it's kind of like, 
what was going on with them at that time mm-hmm. and I brought this up I think uh, in the quick cuts with Kay about James Benning about like how he he feels with his films um, he wants that uh, you know whatever it is the thoughts that are going in through your head at that time to become part of the experience of you watching it because the film has so much empty space mm. and I think that's what really makes people uncomfortable it's it's empty space and then uh, silence Right. You know, those two things. Because the movie doesn't have a lot of dialogue in it. You know, it's mainly her just alone um, doing chores, drinking tea. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. like, um, and yeah, I, I don't want to reveal what the the other aspect of the film is. And, and you know, that might be the, the entry point for some people where it's like, oh, there's something else behind this. Um, but, you know, th- there's just all this weight that comes attached to the film, not just, you know, how pivotal it is in, in terms of feminist filmmaking, but also, um, uh, you know, the actress that he chooses to use is uh, Delphine Sarig, who's like an icon in, in French cinema. She's not, you know, on the level of, say, like um, Isabelle Huppert or Juliette Binoche, but she was up there, you mm-hmm. know, um, and she's been in some iconic films, like some also other notoriously baffling films like... Uh, uh, last year at Marion Bod, which I don't think is on the list, because um, that's also an all-time favorite of mine. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so also just leading in, maybe we can wrap up uh, soon of mm-hmm, of this sure. topic. But uh, I I made some picks from the list that I would recommend to people. Okay, cool. Uh, or and I guess this is my personal leaning of like what they picked. So I I have the General, uh, the Buster Keaton film. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, and I'll always remember. I saw it in the theater with a bunch of people, and it was only me and one other person that laughed during the whole <laughs> screening. And it was a silent film. It's like you know, they just like these gags are too beautiful to be laughed at. Um, uh, Man escaped, a Robert Brisson film, uh, amazing prison escape film, very minimal and very like pared down. It, it's incredible. Histoires uh, du Cinema, which is like actually not a movie; it's it's a TV series by Godard. They included it, but I guess because it's about um, cinema, and it has been shown uh, theatrically. I actually have seen the theatrical version of it. Like they did like a whole marathon. I think it, it ended up being like four hours to watch the whole series um, in the theater, and that was great. Um, Blue Velvet, your beloved <laughs> Blue Velvet. Yeah. I. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm such a Lynch fan that, you know, uh, yeah. Blue Velvet is something... I think the value of Blue Velvet to me is really the, the Dennis Hopper, Frank right. Booth character. He's right? just like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I quote that movie, uh, his lines all the time. I mean, you know, the Heineken? Fuck yeah. that shit! <laughs> yeah. Pabst Blue Ribbon! Yeah. <laughs> now it's dark, you know. He's an animal, man. So, yeah. God damn, you're one swab fuck. You know, yeah, like, I mean the cursing is just a plus in in Blue Velvet. Like I don't think David Lynch has has gotten to that level again. You know, no. as, as Frank Booth. Yeah, um, Satan Tango, the seven and a half hour movie by Bella Tarr, incredible. Uh, talk about another movie that will bond you with people when you go see it in the theater. That's another one. Uh, La Jetée, which would be in my own personal um uh submission, and you know it 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 definitely I think comes paired with Sans Soleil. There are two films by by Chris Marker, who's, you know, a big inspiration for me. And uh, I mean La Jete, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, Steve. It's it's a film it's a short film. 
um and it's composed entirely of photographs like still photos oh okay yeah and it, it's a sci-fi movie and it also uh i guess it's kind of a spoiler but it was the inspiration for um uh, 12 monkeys mm-hmm. um, right yeah. yeah and then I, i'm also going by the order of how they put it by the way so um sherlock jr buster keaton again great also a very short film only 45 minutes uh some incredible stunts uh, particularly the the main chase scene, um, Mirror, um, the Andrei Tarkovsky film, yeah, probably his greatest film, um, yeah, just amazing. Uh, I can't even describe it. It's another film where you go more by vibe than than mm-hmm. story. It's sure. it's like completely out of order. It's all memories. It's it's amazing. Apocalypse Now, yes. I I still think it's 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 Francis Ford Coppola's best movie. Um, uh, you know, better than the Godfather. The I mean, the two Godfathers, not including three. Um, but yeah, it, it's really incredible, and we can get into that one when, when yeah, you get around to. to seeing it. Um, Close up, the Abbas Kiarostami film, one of the greatest like docu fiction movies ever made. Uh, yeah, it's just it's remarkable. Uh, Meshes of the Afternoon by another artist who's a big inspiration for for me, um, Maya Darren, who who's uh, reputation only rests on a handful of shorts because she died very young uh, by some weird heart condition I think so she only made a few shorts but they were all she made them all count they're incredible um, Sunrise Song of Two Humans F.W. F. Murnau another great silent film uh, another amazing silent film actually Man with a Movie Camera which is also a big inspiration for me Mulholland Drive um, we've talked about uh, Botravai, which is the Claire Denis film, um, is incredible, and then In the Mood for Love and Vertigo. So those are yeah, my okay. my um, my picks from a uh, Sight and Sounds uh, list. Excellent. And you'll 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 notice that there aren't any <laughs> really like tried and true classics, like yeah, other like, than Vertigo. Like, I don't think you mentioned like a Kubrick in there or anything either. Mm. Yeah. No, because my favorite Kubrick is Full Metal Jacket, and it's not on that yeah. list. Yeah, <laughs> Full Metal so. Jacket and Clockwork aren't on there, and like nope. I would, and like the, those two are the are the ones that stand out to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, yeah, t- two thousand one for for just for the cinematography, like I get sure. it, but yeah, yeah, but again, it, it's that type of movie that I feel like slots against. Like, okay, I can recognize it's objectively great, but it doesn't really mean anything to me personally right you know yeah so i can admire its technical marvel but you know it just doesn't you know these movies i mentioned they right. all have inspired something in me like i you know i feel a stirring yeah yeah <laughs> so I, I hear you. yeah it's like yeah it, it's like yeah like i always see barry linden like ranked mm-hmm. high and yeah whenever i i can't get into it it's like another one where it's just like i it's just I get that every shot is beautiful yeah. and like everything that they thought of, but I just want to flip over to a different movie, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I get it. But yeah. I I will say though, Steve, that I, I definitely championed Barry Lyndon early on. Like uh-huh. I discovered it um, yeah. when it was like a crappy DVD and uh, I yeah. loved it, you know? Uh, it, yeah. But yeah, it's just one of those films where I, I have to forget about it for a while before I revisit it. It's not like right. Full Metal Jacket, which just has that replay value, you oh know? Oh my God, it's yeah. so rewatchable. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, all right, so good. one last thing uh, okay. before we move on. Uh, okay, so since I just mentioned all my favorites, yeah, I would, um, I'll also mention, um, I guess, what my submission would have been uh, that aren't on the on the. Mm the 100 list so okay. um so mine would be once upon a time in america 
the Sergio Leone film, mm-hmm. I think, is the greatest gangster movie ever made. So, yeah, also notoriously long movie, um, over three hours. I think uh, there's an extended cut that's like four uh, mm-hmm. hours long. Um, yeah, and it, it's just amazing. And a really incredible film. Uh, Pickpocket, which I think even objectively is Robert Brisson's greatest film. It's better than A Man Escaped. And I think mm-hmm. the other Brisson movies they mentioned on that list. And I, I'm surprised that that wasn't on there. Uh, Le Samurai, the Jean-Pierre Melville film about, you know, the hitman who follows the code of Bushido. You know, incredible film. Naked, uh, you know, the Mike Lee film. Edward Monk, which nobody ever talks about, which is about the, the painter, uh, Edward Monk. And it's a, a really amazing uh, a biographical film by um, Peter Watkins. And the TV version is better than the the movie version, like it's uh it, it's four also four hours long. Um, I also meant, wanted to mention Street, uh, the um, uh, Jamie Nair's uh, film, which is a documentary of of New York City, uh, shot with like super super slow mo cameras, and it's only mm. like an hour long. Um, Oriental Elegy, which is by Alexander Sukorov, um, which is, I think, only 45 minutes long. It's very short, and it's just... Uh, I can't even describe what it is. It's like a, a fever dream. <laughs> um, Autumn Afternoon, which is Ozu's last film, um, is incredible. And then I got to throw in my boy uh, Jim Jarmusch, uh, oh, Stranger yeah. Than Paradise, the movie that, that made me a filmmaker. <laughs> right. Um, and then the last one is Lin True. Or the Intruder by um, Claire Denis. Um, so that would be my submission for um, for my Sight and Sound. Nice top films. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll make it in there in, in twenty thirty two. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they ask me to contribute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All cool. right. Okay, so I guess that wraps up appetizer slash quick cuts. Appetizers. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're entering the main course, and mm. I hope you're hungry, Steve. Oh, and I, yeah, I'm ready to dig in. <laughs> you have your knives out for a glass onion? <laughs> oh, I see what yeah. you did there. That's pretty good. Yeah, man. Well, before we get into these movies, um, uh, and you know, I've, I've been wanting you to watch, at least before even Glass Onion came out, um, I wanted you to see Knives Out since you established from day one that you're a big fan of Clue. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I've wanted to know how you felt about Knives Out. But before we get into that, like, I want to know, how do you feel about Ryan Johnson, uh, his previous movies? Yeah. Like, what's your experience with well, him? Well, it's like, it's one of those things where I'm hesitant to say because I feel like it's one of those things where the, mo- the, the movie community has a certain perception of him that I'm not privy to. You know, it's okay. kinda, it was it's kind of like saying that you like Hillary Swank and then like you get ragged on for liking Hillary <laughs> Swank, you know? Um, so no, no, I think you have some people in your corner. Yeah. So I would say yeah. um, I really like, he did Brick, right? Yes, he did. I remember really liking Brick. I remember like mm-hmm. watching that and being like, whoa, that was kind of cool. Um, and then not really knowing much else about him until he got involved with what this was it it was the Star Wars movies right yes yeah and so and then this there was a obviously a lot of scuttlebutt around that and then now it's like it's really fun to shit on him is kind of the vibe I'm picking up <laughs> so I, I'm a little like I'm 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 kind of a Ryan Johnson agnostic I just know okay. 
I, I liked Brick when I saw it. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I was a fan of Brick's trailer. Like, mm-hmm. I thought the trailer for Brick was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the the close-up of, you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hand when the car, like, zooms past it. It's like, mm-hmm. man, that's some cool shots. Yeah. You know, and then it, it's in my wheelhouse in the sense of, like, it's, you know, it, it's a detective story, you know, um, a murder mystery, maybe, a, you know, a, a film noir, you know, but it's, like, set in high school. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then I watched it, and then I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, <laughs> I was just—I was totally put off by the lingo. Like, yeah, that, that just like came across to me as like so pretentious. I was mm-hmm. just like, "Why are people talking like this?" Like yeah. the whole thing with like tug and all this bullshit, dode and all this yeah. like, weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was very yeah, odd. That really put me off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I I did like the cast, and it was nice to like see Lucas Haas again. You know, because he hadn't mm-hmm. seen him in a while in the movie, and it was just like, oh, okay. So, you know, I uh, this is the thing for me. If there's enough in the movie to like keep me like engaged in terms of like certain details or things that I find promising, I'll be like, okay, I'll. I'll give you another shot, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch another movie of yours, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm blanking on the trajectory as well now with the um, uh, what came after <laughs> Brick? Okay. Was so, it so um, we got Brick? Then we Brothers got Bloom. The, Brothers Bloom. Okay. Uh, and then a a, a TV uh, Terriers Looper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Looper. And, and then yeah, the Star Wars. Knives out, glass onion. Right. Like, yeah. Um so okay. So I, I skipped Brothers Bloom. Um I by default had seen his DV, his T V work because, you know, he he's notorious for simultaneously both um and being known for directing the best episode of Breaking Bad and the worst episode oh of Breaking God. Bad. Yeah, it, it, he has that dubious honor. Um and you know uh we I don't think we've we've talked about Breaking Bad before but my opinion of Breaking Bad is uh, I I do feel it it's one of the most overrated TV shows in recent history wow. like I don't I don't think it's as good as people say it is but I also feel the same way about Game of Thrones and this was before Game of Thrones became what it was yeah. in season eight um but you know uh, Breaking Bad stuck to landing you know I'll say that like you know it, it was consistent throughout but you know. That episode that, that that I'm talking about, the, which is known as the worst episode for, I guess people who aren't fans of the show, like super fans, will defend this episode. But it's the fly. You know that episode? What? Yeah. What happens in that one? It's the one where where Walter White is like bothered by a fly that's on the oh, ceiling, and that's what right. the whole episode is. Like it doesn't move the plot forward. It was just like completely filler, and then all the fans like have these like justifications oh. for why it exists. And all that. It's an awful episode. Like I, I don't know how it can be defended. Like it, yeah. it was purely like I think uh, AMC had an order of episodes, and like they needed to fill that space, so yeah. they made the fly. Yeah. And then you know the other episode, which people consider to be the greatest, even though I, I'm really more of a fan of Felina, the season, uh, the series finale mm-hmm. <laughs> episode. But that was um, a great one. Yeah, it is, and I, I still rewatched. You know the mm-hmm. the pivotal moment. <laughs> spoiling for people who still haven't watched Breaking Bad, but yeah, you know, you know what happens yeah, when exactly. people get their comeuppance. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, Ozymandias, which is the the episode um that you know notoriously. Okay, let's just fucking spoil it. Um, you know, main character dies mm-hmm. in in that episode. Um, 
And uh, yeah, he. But it's so weird because you know the thing about Ozymandias is that it actually ends, I think, before um, Hank gets killed. Like it, it he uh, like Hank gets killed in the next episode. Oh right. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, but the, that they consider that to be the greatest episode. Um, yeah, one of the greatest episodes. Um. Uh, but yeah, Fly is just awful. It's just yeah. awful. <laughs> but okay, so um, my take on on Ryan Johnson is that yeah, so I, I I gave him a shot after Brick, and then um, I think I tuned in again with Looper. Yeah. And then Looper was the movie that was just like ah oh, fuck this guy, you know I was just like <laughs> like what's it, like, what, like what's the main issue is it, you know because obviously he he's also the writer is it like mm-hmm. the dialogue like what's like what's the main no it's write? not the dialogue I okay well I guess this is gonna tap into a little bit of of my issues with the the Knives Out movies too so Ryan Johnson is known to be like a clever filmmaker mm. and my issue with that is that clever doesn't necessarily mean smart. You know, you can be yeah. a smart Alec, but that doesn't mean you're smart, you know. And that that's the sense that I got. It's like he he's like doing things because he thinks I mean, you know, I uh, I'll I'll give him this. Like he does things with noble intentions and I admire that he that he's trying to do something different. But the problem is he he fails in the execution. And it's just like the the whole like I was so put off by how they they tried to force Joseph Gordon-Levitt to look like a younger Bruce Willis with that horrible makeup mm-hmm. that he was wearing, you know, with the the forehead that they put on him. Like, he, he seemed like he was, like, right out of, like, this uh, Nickelodeon show I used to watch called Kid Kudzu. Um, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, it was just something right out of that. I just didn't buy it. And then it, it has one of my, like, and this is on me, okay, the the pet peeve of the 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 kid character you know who's like special and has like powers and stuff like that like that's what looper has which just like annoyed me yeah Yeah. so yeah i was completely put off by it even though it was like oh man i love it It it's like i love the aesthetic of like you know it's it's also a time travel movie and you know that this idea that there's these agents who have to travel through time um, but then, yeah, it also echoes another Bruce Willis time travel movie, which, which was better, which was 12 Monkeys, which right. I mentioned earlier, yep. you know. Um, so, yeah. And then I, I think the other thing that just put me off with him is uh, I remember he, he did some sort of, I guess, talk with Shane Carruth. And um, in this talk, like he showed the the hype uh, reel that he did to like get investors on board with with Looper and it had like clips from Seven, you know, it's it's basically this hype reel or sizzle reel, that's what they call yeah. it in the industry term. It's like you just basically put like all this found footage together to like approximate the feel of what your movie's gonna feel. And yeah. I just hated that whole sizzle reel. Like it it was just like amateur hour kind of like Right. Yeah, something that you would come across on YouTube. And I feel like there's better super cuts on YouTube. Like, you know, when people do fake trailers uh, mm-hmm. for something, you know, when they're trying to lure you in, like, it's like, uh, if it's a movie that doesn't have a trailer yet, and then, you know, you stumble upon those, that that's what it felt like. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I was already, like, I had my knives out <laughs> yeah. for him nice, by the time nice. the Star Wars movie came out. Like, I was just... And, you know, the thing was, there's a lot of revisionist history with the Star Wars movies. I'll say that after the original trilogy. Like, 
now there's people who are defending and saying that the prequels were actually good. But we all remember that when they were coming out, people hated them. Even though I guess there was yeah. some goodwill with Phantom Menace. By the time Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith came out, people were like, this is terrible. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and now there's this revisionist history that, oh, no, actually they're good. You know? Yeah. And people hate this uh, this recent trilogy but I remember how much goodwill there was for the first one. Totally. For, um, yeah, The Force yeah. Awakens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 2015. Even though, you know, looking back on it, it's a blatant reboot of, of the original. It's yeah. just uh, A New Hope. It's That's a requel. Yeah, it's a requel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I guess, you know, because of the time that was coming out in between those two things. But, you know, it ended on such a high note with yeah. the, you know, the encounter with Luke on the island. And then, yeah, man, Last Jedi. Uh, did you mention how you felt about Last Jedi? Um, I mean, I thought it was, you know, I thought, basically, I, I, I find every Star Wars movie to be to be pretty okay or good. Like, <laughs> they're like, I, I don't get swung too high or too low. Mm. I thought Last, sure. Last Jedi had, I thought, a cool fight scene when they're fighting the, like, it's like in a red room. It's either in a red room or they're fighting yeah, like yeah. a bunch of red dudes. Mm-hmm. I remember like thinking yeah. like, "Whoa, this looks pretty cool," but that's right. all, but but like I don't I can't, I couldn't tell you at, like what happens in the movie at all. You know? Yeah, it's way too long. I fell asleep in the middle of the movie, and I yeah. remember like it was that sequence where they go to the casino planet, yeah. and I woke up and they were still going there. Yeah. Like I was like what happened in that span of time that I fell asleep. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I I I honestly think it, and I'm not a, a big Star Wars fan either, but I do think that he made the worst Star Wars movie mm-hmm. by far. Like and yeah. that's saying a lot because I I really do think also um uh Revenge of the Sith is is pretty bad too. <laughs> that's funny. Um, it's, it's funny cuz like I've seen rankings where it's like a lot of people still like like Sith it's, it's like, so it's very it's a, it's a whole you know st- like like I don't want to dip our toe too deep into the Star Wars verse because like that's right. like that's where people will have their knives out and like actually show up at our house and shank us. Now bring it, bring it. Yeah, <laughs> I want the knives out. Yeah, let's let's have some hate listeners. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, yeah, because but yeah, well, cause, because because like I've heard like like people like go through like the proper order that you're supposed to watch the Star Wars. Oh, yeah, I've seen this too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and then I've also seen those lists where people, or, or, or I think it's a popular YouTube clip where someone has like renamed all the Star Wars movies by a different Star Wars movie name. You know, like okay. like Phantom Menace shouldn't be called Phantom Menace. It, that's, it should be called The Rise of Skywalker because it's, you know, it's, oh, it's when Anakin's yeah. born. And you know it's no, like that makes sense. So like someone has like there there's a really popular YouTube clip that actually does that to all nine of the of the the, the nine canon films I guess, which okay. is kind of a funny watch. So like yeah. like I like all of that stuff. I like the mythology, but sure. I I'm not into ranking the movies or like mm. in, in anything like that because I I ultimately just like the fight scenes and I like the vibe of flying in space and you know sure. just kind of high fiving your wookie i guess <laughs> yeah i mean the world that george lucas created is incredible you yeah. know he yeah. he really came up with something special and, yeah. um but yeah it, i guess that's why i feel like the last jedi um yeah is so bad because 
not only does Ryan Johnson take a shit on George Lucas's creations, he also takes a shit on whatever J.J. Abrams established in the first one. Right. You know, this is this great moment at the end of, of um, Force Awakens where Rey hands Luke his lightsaber. And then what does Ryan Johnson do? He just has him toss it over his shoulder. And people are like, oh, that's like so great. And like he even yeah. announces his uh, his intentions in the movie by putting it in a character's mouth by saying, oh, the past must die. Yeah. Or, you know, in, in Kylo's. Uh, yeah. And he destroys Kylo's cool helmet. Come right. on. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. no, I I'll have like a laundry list of my complaints of it, but I I just feel like, you know, he he already starts off on the wrong foot with the your mama joke at the beginning with the uh, Hux and uh and Poe. Like I was already like, Ugh. yeah, this is this is awful. Like, That's you know, not it's just good. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so the craziest thing with that and like leading into our main course, um so he he made all his money. He 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 got that Disney money for for Last Jedi, and then he 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 goes and makes something you know a little more like smaller scale, and in in tune with his, one of your favorites, uh, Clue. Yeah. You know, a murder mystery set in a house. You know, oh, very baby. simple. Yeah, and you know what ends up happening too. And I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Was that he actually ends up making more money? With Knives Out, than he did with the the Star Wars movie. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, because you know, um, yeah. I mean, it was a box office hit. That yeah. was one thing, and then on top of that, Netflix basically paid him a hundred million to make two more movies. Wow. Which is the the Glass Onion is the first one we're seeing, and then you know, I think maybe twenty twenty four. Yeah. We'll see the next one. So. Wow. Um, yeah. So let's get into it. Knives yeah. Out. How yeah. do you feel about it, Steve? Man, so. It just so it it came out in 2019 and it just takes yes. me back to 2019 like <laughs> simpler times. We, we had no fucking idea how <laughs> dope 2019 was going to be <laughs> in terms of just like what was coming next, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> and no, so you're right. And so it, it like watching it seeing that it was made in 2019, it just instantly put me in like a fun space and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to try to enjoy this movie. Yeah, it's Ryan Johnson, but I'm going to try to enjoy it. And so I ended up really enjoying it. Um, You know, I I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, you know, whodunit or murder mystery or whatever, because it definitely has things that I I don't like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, let's get into it. Mainly it, it... it la- and and maybe this speaks to what what you've been getting to with Ryan Johnson films. It lacks humor in a way. Oh, yes. Like, yeah. Knives Out and the movie that we're going to talk about next. But let's just focus on Knives Out first. You know, it's a gr- they put together a killer cast. Right. You know, in in terms of people you know and faces and oh wow they got mm. this person and that person, but there's no one that's like a real stalwart comedic presence. Mm-hmm. Sure. And like, yeah. why do I love Clue? It's because it's littered with comedic performance. Yes. In this like ensemble murder mystery, where yeah. it's like, um, you know, you could just take any scene and there's a, someone delivering a funny line that's probably been written and rewritten by comedic by comedy writers performed mm. by talented comedic actors and there's people that are making funny choices in the backgrounds while while they're not even talking you know right and it seems like what this movie 
this movie has all has a lot of good momentum. It's moving, it's shaking, it looks sharp. Sure. And you know, the performances are strong. Obviously Dan, Daniel Craig is really charismatic and fun and he gets all the lines out, you know. <laughs> and, and there's a, there's it's a lot of him talking. Um Sure. But it's like, where's the fun? Like, where's, <laughs> where's like, right. like I almost want to recast it, you know, in in a way with like, you know, some funnier people, just because it like it needs. It's not enough to just look at good looking people, sure. And that's kind of my main take. That's my main takedown of it. Is just like, where's the humor? Yeah, I I mean I remember um uh that was one of the things with Scorsese that you know he often casts comedians mm-hmm. because he he just lets them riff you know yeah. <laughs> and, and it's great because it like shakes up the script you know it allows um basically people to be a lot looser like you know mm-hmm. a, a movie as intense as taxi driver has albert brooks in it mm-hmm. and i think that was like an early role for him if not his first movie role but you know that that was really it like behind the scenes he's like keeping everybody loose and you know he he's ad libbing you know that kind of yeah. thing and yeah there's definitely not that and i don't know i i feel like because ryan johnson has that double hyphen of writer director mm-hmm. uh did, I, I, he's not like exacting the same way like fincher or paul thomas anderson is but um there's definitely i think a way of of sticking to the written word in his 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 stuff. That's why you know I think he he deserves all the blame for yeah. it too because yeah. Uh, because yeah he I don't think he allows for for much in terms of um uh you know um improvisation or ad libbing right you know um it, it just feels like yeah it, it just we're we're sticking to the paper and um I I think that mo- knives out the first one was was put together very quickly he, it was one of I think he said mm. the fastest turnarounds he had for a film where he wrote it in January and then they basically finished it um in October or November Damn. you know so yeah. yeah like within a year he had a movie yeah. Um, I mean, it, it certainly, it seems like it was a fun project. I can say that. Sure. Like, like it looks like yeah. a fun movie. The cast looks like they're having a, a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say like, uh, it, like I, I feel like the one person on, on the cast that could have been given more and that could have helped bring up, bring up the, the humor was Ricky Lindholm. I know she's a pretty talented, like comedic actress and she's in that singing group Garfunkel and Oates. But she has like a really small oh. role in this movie. And I didn't like, even recognize her. <laughs> I was like, yeah. that's her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and so and, and so like she she was she was the one face where I was like, oh, maybe should maybe they'll give her some funny stuff. And she had a couple lines, mm-hmm. but you know, ultimately it's you know, she she yeah. you know, she's like way way down on the cast list and um mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah it, it, it is weighed by that. I mean, you know, we have the the Halloween tie in obviously with the um, with Jamie Lee Curtis and then, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Daniel Craig bringing the, the James Bond link. And it's even funny that, you know, in the next James Bond film, like we haven't even talked about Anna de Armas. They, mm, they're in, right. in, they're in the James Bond movie together in the next movie. Yeah. And I will say this. Okay. There's a couple of things that I will like step up and defend Ronnie Johnson for with this movie. So one, he, 
he's already got a lot of goodwill with me because he's doing a murder mystery, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. I think is kind of a dying breed. We don't really get many of these anymore, and for good reason, because they're just hard to write. Yeah. You know, uh, but you still have this wealth of material, and you know there can be fresh takes of it. But obviously, with with Agatha Christie, who who looms large over both of these movies, um, uh, you know, Kenneth Branagh did his adaptations, and I've just heard bad things. Like, I mean, you know, Death in the mm-hmm. Nile, like it seemed like it was coming out forever. Like they kept on showing the trailer for two years, and I understand, you know, with everything that's been going on in the world, it getting delayed. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, from all I've heard, and that also has an all-star cast, you know, and yeah, it was just terrible. Uh, so, um, so there, there's that, you know, and he's working within a genre that I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, so yeah. good or bad, like it, it's working within that window. And, um, yep, uh, and I, yeah, I will say another, um, like remarkable decision that they made with the movie with Anna de Armas being the main character is that, and knowing Anna de Armas from previous roles, and you know, you brought up Blonde earlier, which is now mm-hmm. her most recent role, she is always like sexy in every role that she's doing. But in this movie, they've dressed her down. She's wearing like large, right. chunky sweaters and cardigans. You know, uh, she's wearing you know loose jeans. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you don't see her as like this you know um, right. object. Uh, you know um, of uh, desire. In, in the movie, she's just, like, very meek, and he makes very good use of her facial expressions because, you know, her eyes really stand out. You know, that oh, yeah. is one of yeah. her best features. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that was one of the most successful things the movie did was was making different use of Anna de Armas that we had seen previously. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I like that aspect of it. Um but yeah, again, one of my main issues with Ryan Johnson, he's not a subtle filmmaker. <laughs> like, yeah. There's nothing subtle about what he does. Like it, it, Whether it be like he puts words in characters' mouths that re- tips his hand, yeah. or, I mean, just even the image of the, you know, um, uh, who's who's the main, main patriarch? Um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Right. Uh, um, it starts with an H. Harlan. Um, Harlan. His study, where he wrote these famous novels, has this, like, uh, what do you want to call it? Art piece with all the knives, like, pointing. Yeah. And then that's where they do the, you know, the interrogations, yeah. you know, with each character, you know, having this halo of knives around them. And, you know, this movie's been out for three years, so if you still haven't seen it, and we're also going to be spoiling Glass Onion, by the way, because it's impossible to yeah. to talk around it. Sorry. Um, and yeah, it's a shame because, uh, you know, um, this has also been a point of controversy recently with, with Glass Onion only getting a one week theatrical release and then Netflix is going to wait for three weeks before releasing it yeah, on, um, that's bizarre. on their platform. Yeah, so not a lot of people have seen it. So, you know, unless you you don't uh, care for spoilers, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. just uh, come back, uh, yeah. pause us, you know. But if you haven't seen Knives Out, uh, you know, just go watch it now before yeah. uh, listening to us. But, yeah, maybe you want to pause it once we transition to Glass Onion. Um, but, yeah, the the whole thing with, with Knives Out, like, um, you know, the – it's it's basically like um I hate this trope the, the Chekhov's gun thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You're familiar with this, Steve? Yeah, the in TV tropes. So, um, 
So it's the Chekhov's knife, you know. You yeah. just know that these knives that are there standing over their head, it's going to be used somehow. You can't just have knives in a room and not, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, notoriously to the title, um, you know what it's named after? No. It's another, it's it's a song. It's actually um from one of my ra- favorite Radiohead albums, uh, oh. Amnesiac. Okay. Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, and yeah. the video is great too. I think Michelle Gondry did it. Uh, it feels like a Michelle Gondry video, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Knives Out, the Radiohead song, it's, okay, it's cool. fantastic. So that's where he got the the title from. Um, but yeah, it's just it's an okay film, you know. Like I, yeah. the, I think I wrote a review about it, and I said like, yeah, it's it's Ryan Johnson's okayest film. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really good. I, yeah, that's what I wrote about yeah. my review. But yeah, it, it it the problems are like I think. It's just it really takes a unique talent to to right. write a murder mystery, right? You okay. know, and I don't think it comes natural to him. Totally. I well, yeah. let's let's maybe go through kind of what we liked about it, and then we'll go through what we mm. don't like about it. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So what I like, I really like the house and the rooms. Like that's yes. looked. It looks cozy. Like. It's like the first shot is I think you see the house with the dogs running. And so, yeah, like kind of of what you're saying with him um, maybe giving too much information. You know, it's like you kind of get a sense, okay, these dogs are going to factor in at some point. And, you know, and like, like, you know, they factor in, I think, when when Anna DeArmas' character, Marta, and Chris Evans' character are like sneaking in and out. Right. Um, And then... It's just, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, this is like clue. Um, you know, okay. We got the study, we got the hall, we got the ballroom, we got, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and the, how, the way the house is decorated, it feels very mysterious. Like Harlan's clearly some kind of weirdo, like to like live in that kind of a house, you know, like it has like secret doors, it seems like, and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's fun. And like, you get a sense of the geography of the house. Like you don't get lost in it. I don't know. Like it felt familiar in a way. Like once you kind of get into the movie, you have a sense of where where kind of everybody is, um, which 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 I always sort of like. Um, and then I guess another thing that I really like, Christopher Plummer, Harlan. Yeah, he's cr- like the dad is like literally he's pretty crazy to do the things he does in the movie to cut off his kids and then ultimately to to slit his own throat you know what i mean like it's um <laughs> he literally cuts himself off <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. It, it's um like it's pretty drastic and so i don't know mm. it's it's kind of i mean it's interesting setting up the mystery because it because you're ultimately like okay any any, any everybody has a motive mm. um and you're gonna see kind of the same setup used i guess in uh in glass onion right um is that you know it, it could be anybody and so that's kind of fun and fine and good for a little bit. Um, and I'm trying to think what else do I like about the movie? Um, you know, it's just, uh, the pace, you know, like, like I always like that kind of quick get to it pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, so, but, uh, before I get to like what, what I don't like is it was, yeah, is there anything that stands out that like what you liked about it? I mean, yeah, I already mentioned Anna de Armas. I mean, Anna I like her yeah. performance too. Yeah. Um, not just the way okay. that they dressed her down. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the cast is definitely a standout. We didn't even mention uh, Lakeith Stanfield, even though he's not really given much to do. Right. I've always liked him in movies and TV yeah. shows, you know, in Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. 
so yeah, that, that's definitely a thing. But like, I I think also the the all star cast it kind of does take away from you know what you were saying, like a little more humor or warmth because I think it was kind of he cast them because of what they already brought from previous projects, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. and I mean, he did say the linchpin was was Daniel Craig agreeing to do it. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah, and then you know, it, it is oh, you know, another movie detective, you know, and I, I, I obviously love detective characters, so uh, Benoit Blanc, it, it yeah. and then we'll get into it in Glass Onion, but like my feelings about him in this one and then the second one differ so okay okay uh but yeah if you if we want to use this as a transition to the what i didn't like yeah that's okay. really it like i i why did he have to have a southern accent yeah like, it's just uh, a <laughs> and, and 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 the foghorn leghorn accent which he mentions too it's like he's trying to get ahead of the audience yeah you know uh it's like yeah i have foghorn leghorn accent and it's like um you know and the thing is that this isn't even the first time daniel um Craig has done a southern accent. I think he did one very well in um, Logan Lucky. Mm. No peeking. No peeking. Yeah. I can't do it. But his, yeah. his accent. And he was hilarious in Logan Lucky. Like, you know. Um, so, yeah. That that yeah. choice to me was just like, why? It's so caricatured. Um, you know. And uh, I forgot that he had given some sort of reasoning that he was... He was gonna do some sort of thing where his accent kind of changes, mm. or his 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 outfit changes as the movie progresses, or something like that. But he thought that that was too much. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it, it's cartoony and yeah, it's not that funny. You know, it, it kind of wears off. And I, I I really do think like it's like Daniel, you're you're at eleven right now. I need you to be at like yeah. seven. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then it yeah. just it just brings me back to Clue. Where you had Tim Curry, Wadsworth ha- has an accent, and sure. it brings me back to Colleen Camp as a, a vet had had like the really strong o- yes. o- over the top <laughs> French accent. Oh and like, my god! But so those good. were like, so Wadsworth who has the heavy talking part in Clue, similar to Benoit mm-hmm. Blanc, the accent is more in the pocket. It's not a huge caric- a caricature. Yeah. Whereas, you know. Colleen Camp as Yvette has the caricature accent, but she's a a bit player. And so, yeah, yeah it's something about giving the character, the super strong at, a, at an 11 accent to the main person. <laughs> it's a little, it's jarring. Um, right. And uh, the other thing you bring up there is that, you know, Colleen Camp's accent is fun. Yeah. You know, it's like there's there's this whole thing about it where you're you're amused by it the whole time. And I, I might even say like I think Madeline Kahn is also speaking with an accent in the movie. Mm, yeah. You know? Uh so Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, they're being funny too. And I, unfortunately mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think, you know, Craig had so many lines and he's not necessarily I don't know, like like he's obviously a great actor who can be funny, but he's not yeah. like a comedic actor. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um having him having to do so many lines in that accent it um yeah it's uh, it, it 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 makes the movie a little just challenging mm-hmm. you know be- because he you know he's doing all the expl- you know he's the one who's figuring it all out he's doing all the explaining he kind of doesn't yeah. let the like the 
my biggest critique with the movie is I feel like they don't let the audience figure it out. They um yes, right. They yeah. they tell you what's happening, and mm-hmm. and e- e- even like halfway through or like you know some 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 uh, period of the way through the movie where there's still a lot left, and so you're just kind of watching it unfurl. Or, you, you you know, like the explanation just kind of like helps you see the scene a second time. Right. You know, so it kind of like loops back. Um, but that's kind of it. Like there's nothing to figure out. You're just, you know, the only thing yeah. to figure out is, um, is uh, well, how did the met, how did the medication switch? And you yeah. can kind of figure it out. Oh, it was probably Chris Evans. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> ransom that brat um yeah those are my main critiques was that the murder mystery part of it was um it wasn't paid off well i thought no Um, yeah no that is the fundamental flaw of the film is really uh, i mean it, it goes back to what i was saying about just him not being very good at subtlety yeah. It's like, you know, that that is the delicate thing when you're doing a murder mystery. And, you know, I'm saying this as a fan. I mean, I, I've never read Agatha Christie novels, but I, I, I need to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm a big fan of, like, Encyclopedia Brown. And I think those are great mysteries, you know. Yeah. And what's even great about Encyclopedia Brown is it asks you how he solved it at the end. And then you have to, like, go mm-hmm. back to the, the end of the book to like find the answers so it allows you to participate oh, cool. That's in really the cool. cases yeah yeah they're really great books for for kids you know i mean you have kids you know if you yeah. want to get them into encyclopedia brown is fantastic cool um but yeah that's the thing that donald j sobel understood and i i, I believe angatha christie did as well is that there is a part of like active participation in your reader where yeah, you're giving them the details. And yeah, with Sobel, it's actually asking you, so how did he put it together? So you have everything in front of you. Mm-hmm. Whereas what um, Ryan Johnson is doing is he's holding everything back um, so that, you know, you wouldn't have known the answer anyway. Like if if it, it, it if Knives right. Out like paused midway through and said, okay, so how did Benoit Blanc figure it out? You don't have the pieces to put it together. Right. You know, and then uh, the, the other question that brings up is like, is it even that compelling once it's revealed? And it isn't, you know, like yeah. the, the whole trope of like the murder mystery is when the detective like has his, his moment where he's like, this is how it happened and blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's always great. But with this one, I was just like, uh, yeah, what is this? Like, it, it, I don't feel like we, we got to that point organically. Like he, no. he knew things that we didn't know as the audience, you know, right. and, and that, that was a, a yeah, it, it really is a fundamental flaw of the film. So as much as the journey getting there was enjoyable enough, um, yeah, it's just really at the end, you, you feel kind of gypped because it's like, well, yeah, you had all the cards, but we had nothing, you know? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like they told you so much early on about Harlan and Marta mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, it just, yeah. Like, you knew it wasn't her and and that yeah. it was an accident, you know, and all mm. this stuff. And then, so there were a couple red herrings in there, which I, you know, as the movie was going on, I was, I was kind of like, Oh, I wonder if this is going to factor in. So yeah. th- one was the mom. So Harlan has this old mom who's just kind of like hanging out is very silent. You know, you know, she kind of, yeah. the, the great Nana, I guess is what they call her. 
You're and right. so I kept thinking, okay, they've you know they've set her up. She's in these spots. Maybe she did something, or that there's some aspect of 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 it that she's involved with, and then ultimately that like like she doesn't factor in at all. Um, yeah. So I thought that they're like, okay, well then why? What's the point of that other than just I guess right. as a red herring? And then the other the other aspect was, so they created this whole contrivance with Marta where she she can't lie. Or she oh shit! Up. Yeah, that's also another main issue that I had. It's so bullshit. Yeah. And so the whole the, the whole time I'm like, okay, they're gonna cut. They're gonna Kaiser Soze this. Where <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought where, that too. Where she's gonna reveal she can lie and she li- mm. and she like lied just right. fine and like she's gonna get away with it. And um, so that never happened. And it's like yeah. Um, and I kind of, I kind of get it. You know, it's like it would have been, it, it, it maybe would have been annoying if, if, if it was like, haha, I've been lying this whole time, and she gets you walks away. Yeah. But again, if, if this was like a, a clue, if they, if they could do multiple endings, that would have been a good yeah. alternate ending. You know. Sure. Um. Well, I'll, I'll just say two things about that. So one is that, uh, I listened to some interviews with Ryan Johnson, and he actually said that he was deliberately avoiding trying to make a movie that felt like Clue. <laughs> yeah. Like he said that, like he didn't want to make something that was like tongue in cheek and, you know, and I should have brought this up earlier, but yeah, he did say that in interviews. So he was never going to do like alternate endings, you know, like uh, they asked him that. It's like, oh, was there any like potential thing that you were mm-hmm. going to do? Like uh, it could have ended differently. But this Kaiser Soze thing is such a fascinating idea because it was sitting right there. Like, you know, uh, that's how I felt that when the movie gets to its ending and it's, you know, it's that shot of her on the balcony looking down on them. Like you could have done some sort of reveal instead of like, Oh, this implied look Yeah. of like, and then, you know, the whole metaphor, which is just so like not subtle at all that she's now above all of them and looking right. down on them. Now she, the power dynamic has changed, Yeah. you know? It's like that whole thing. And that's all yep. it is. It's nothing more than that. But, you know, it's like the cut to black with her face looking down on them with the the teacup. It's like, yep. oh, come on. You know, yep. it's like, you're, you're just going to leave it at that, you know. Um, yeah, like, uh, I think what we're getting at here is that endings of murder mysteries need to be revelatory. You know? <laughs> and there's no revelation in Knives Out. <laughs> Right. You know, it's not that surprising that it was all ransom all, all that time. You know? Right. Yep. It's like, <laughs> yeah, even though it's like, yeah, everything is a red herring basically in terms of who, who you think did it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when when Blanc is given the final big speech where he's uncovered the whole thing um, and he's doing using the donut analogy, I found that to be super obnoxious. Or it's like... <laughs> He's he's like I think I think he's holding a donut or he's like you know he's basically thinking of the donut helped him think of the answer or something. Really? Just, I, yeah. I completely blanked on this. I, I haven't rewatched the movie since I saw yeah. it uh, when yeah, it came out. So Yeah, it's just kind of like he's I think he's he's talking to Marta that earlier he's like there, there there's a mystery that or there's something that I'm missing like I have the donut but mm. there's something that goes in the middle of the donut that I just don't oh. have and then he brings that <laughs> analogy back for the big uh, ending the and hole yeah 
the hole. Oh, come and, on. Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah, I, I think it, it, you know, it just goes back to like an ongoing theme that I'll, a lot of these endings just aren't that good, unfortunately, right. or aren't that satisfying. Goes back yeah. to horror movies, scream, you know, like just mm. like it fizzles out. It fizzles out, right? And it's yeah. just there was potential there. There was, I feel like there was some fruit mm. on the tree, and maybe if they didn't yeah. rush the project, it could have been different. But also, I feel like that was the fun of the project. It was like, hey, let's get this done, and and it, like yeah. Um, so it is what it is, and you know, it was certainly enjoyable to kind of watch and to talk about, but um. It's also like yeah. why is it like it these movies don't have to be that long. They're so long. Oh yeah, it is a long movie. Yeah, there's like a whole chase sequence we didn't even mention and mm-hmm. then uh a discovery of a body and then you know the other thing, you know, is that the body count isn't even the, that high with with this movie, right? It's like Harlan Two. the yeah, maid. Harlan and the maid. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not yeah most everybody makes it or oh yeah I guess ransom got arrested like there wasn't uh yeah. yeah but yeah I mean yeah my my parting thoughts really are that I I really do feel why this was Ryan Johnson's okayest film was because of what came before it and I mm-hmm. didn't even mention like you know when we were on the outset talking about him like how much of a petulant shit he is on Twitter yeah, you know, oh, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, oh. but when, when, yeah, but because of the, the the Last Jedi reactions, he was like responding to fans, Ugh. and it, it's just ironic in this in this next movie we're gonna talk about how like there's a there's a celebrity <laughs> character mm-hmm. yep. who needs their phone taken away from them so they don't tweet, and I'm like, yeah, I think Ryan Johnson needs his phone taken away from him. <laughs> you know, yeah. he needs his handler to like take this away because. uh yeah, I mean that's that's really like rule one oh one, you know, as a creator, like don't respond to fans, especially if they're saying bad shit, just let them say it. Like right. the, you know, being combative and like, you know, defending your work makes you look even worse. And especially yeah. because it's he's defending the last Jedi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like if you had made something good that I could stand behind. And I will say this too, because I I, I think I mentioned this in, in Kay's uh episode when we talked a little bit about Damien Chazelle. Like, you know, there's just so many bad, like, takes coming out of Babylon right now that it makes me want to go see it. And you know, and if, if Ryan Johnson makes a movie that everybody takes a huge dump on, like, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go see it. <laughs> like, I'll, right. I want to see the movie that everybody hates. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it like, I'm, I'm not writing him off, you know, it's like, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. If he, he does make something again, I'll probably go see, I'll probably go watch the third, uh, Knives Out movie. For you sure. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so let's, let's get into Glass Onion and yeah, yeah. this is okay. for people who haven't been fortunate enough to see it in the theater. You can turn away now and come sure. back to us on Christmas time. Yes. Yes. Um, the Glass Onion just came out. And, um, well, the funny thing is I just noticed in my, in the town I live, a glass onion Italian restaurant, like just opened up. So I was like, yeah, oh. you sent me a photo. Yeah. <laughs> like, did you, did you like walk in and ask them like, uh, what's the story behind the name? No, no, I didn't. Oh, but, man. but I do think there's a lot of glass onions. I do think. And, and they, and, they serve glass onions. No, sorry. There, there's a lot of, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, um, <laughs> of cafes and restaurants called the glass onion. Like, it seems like it's like a, a fairly popular name, which I would not, not have even thought wow. was possible. Yeah. And then, you know, so it goes t- to the movie. Cause I think 
all the characters meet at some bar called the glass onion and like that was That's their right. like cheers or whatever and yeah there's a literal glass onion in the movie like you, i mean people have seen it in the trailer it's it it's yeah. it sits right on top of this uh billionaire's yeah. uh mansion on an island like it's the yeah. it's basically the crowning piece of this house is this uh, multi-layered yeah. glass onion um yeah, so, so, so so we got yeah we got miles braun is is this billionaire and he's played by edward norton and he yeah like i guess he you know he kind of serves as a proxy for a lot of billionaire types that i guess were kind mm-hmm. of like that we maybe all have already previously mentioned on this app you know like he kind of yeah, has I mean, that sort of that Elon yeah. Musk kind of vibe. Yeah, and he's uh, Ryan Johnson has been getting praise for being clairvoyant. <laughs> it's like because you know he obviously sh- wrote and shot the movie before mm-hmm. uh, Elon Musk even I think reached uh, the richest man in the world title. <laughs> you know? Right, he wasn't there yet. But like the yeah the the very telling detail is when basically uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Um, is like talking about like the pieces of paper that gets faxed him with the ideas mm-hmm. of like you know, but it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't remember specifically what they were, but they were just like really absurd. It was like uh, I'm making stuff up now. <laughs> something along the lines of like, hey, let's get a translator for a dog or something. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> and then it becomes a billion dollar idea. A billion dollar idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um. Like, yeah, I guess, yeah, how do we set this movie up? I mean, it's it's similar to Knives okay. Out where it's like um, there's a group of people in an isolated place instead of in a in a house mm-hmm. or, you know, at, at a fan, you know, a, at a family event. They're they're all brought to this island. Yeah. And the island has kind of an interesting name. Like, what was the island's name? It was like, oh man, it, it was like it sounded like piece of shit, but it was like. <laughs> It has like it had like a Greek name, but if you said it quick, it's, it was it sounds like a piece of shit. Uh, it's off the Peloponnese. Okay, um, so maybe yeah. something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um. Yeah. I. I yeah. So, um, so essentially, this this crew of people, with yeah. that uh, that includes Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Catherine Hahn. And Leslie Odom Jr. Odom Jr. Yeah, they receive these puzzle boxes, mm-hmm. and oh, once they solve Janelle the- Monet, Janelle Monet oh, too is very oh, right. yeah, yeah. important. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. So once they receive their puzzle boxes, they have to open it somehow, solve it, and they all figure it out in some way. And there's an invite to the island, and mm-hmm. they get to, and before they board the island. Uh, they meet, I think, with Miles Braun, but then that's also Benoit Blanc. He also is revealed to have gotten an invitation. Yeah, and everybody just yeah. thinks it makes sense because it's going to be a murder mystery. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, let's let's invite the great, the world's greatest detective, and a billionaire can afford <laughs> to have yeah. him there. Yeah, and then um, uh, well, let's also mention the the time frame of this movie where when it's set. So it's oh, right. set like peak of the pandemic. Okay, let's get the the Spotify blue. Uh, yeah, like banner in this episode so um, it's even showing like how the characters are introduced like Kate Hudson is having like an orgy party <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the peak of the pandemic yeah um, in New York City and <laughs> yeah um, and uh, yeah they, they're all wearing masks when they're arrive when they arrive but tellingly 
Kate Hudson and Dave Batista. Well, Dave Batista and his uh, girlfriend. Um, what was her name? Whiskey. She had like a whiskey. Aren't wearing masks, and um, uh, Kate Hudson is wearing a useless mask, which yeah. is basically like this wire mesh thing where you can still see her face. <laughs> Why yeah. even bother exactly. wearing a mask? And then uh, it it actually is already like the because there were subtle cameos before that. Uh, but mm-hmm. the first notable cameo that I noticed was Ethan Hawke, you know, because yeah. he gets this one bit where he's kind of like, um, I guess, uh, the the connecting host uh, before they get to the island. Right. And he's he's telling them what's up. And then he basically has this, <laughs> which we assume is a vaccine gun that he shoots into people's mouths. And that becomes a justification that, oh, you guys don't have to wear your masks anymore. You're good. Like, yeah, they ask him. It's like, what's in that thing? Uh, no, you just open your mouth, please. Yeah. <laughs> he shoots this. It, it's thing, a which... big question, right? Right yeah. at the top, what is in this? But it's also like good that they don't they don't explain it because it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like whether it's a vaccine or not. Just by having it be something open to imagination, it makes it, I think, a, a better plot point. So it's just like, yeah. okay, you're not gonna have to worry about seeing masks anymore, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Or social distancing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it's interesting on the IMDb, Ethan Hawke, his character name is Efficient Man. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty uh, cool. That's a great character name. Yeah, because I don't even remember seeing him in the end credits. Like, you know, because, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm, I'm skipping forward a little bit, but, you know, the, the credits were nice with the, the character cards. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you get like the little drawing of them, but I don't remember seeing his one. Because that would have been funny to see that title card where it's efficient, man. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Oh, man. So, so yeah, they, they go on this island. And is it Bronze's birthday? Miles Bronze's birthday? Is that why yeah. he's holding this shebang? I think it's his birthday, yeah. Yeah. So he wants to do a murder mystery where he's the the murdered one, which right. we, 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 we've seen before. And I, I'm sure you've had friends who participated in these type of things where, you know, Somebody's mm-hmm. the killer, but he he goes all out because mm-hmm. his one is like he he hires a Jillian Flynn, <laughs> the writer of Gone Girl, <laughs> to uh, yeah. to write the mystery and yeah there's a there's a whole elaborate thing that he had set up, but then yeah. you know there there's something going on that we're mm-hmm. again like uh, Ryan Johnson's keeping his cards to his chest a little bit. Uh, he he sets aside Benoit Blanc and he's like, um, I I didn't invite you mm-hmm. to this thing, you know, like, uh, uh, how did you get here? And like, you know, how did you get an invite? And I, I his description was like, oh yeah, it was this box with like just little childish puzzles, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the Edward Norton's reaction to that or Miles Brown's reaction to that is like, what? I really worked hard on that shit, and yeah, like, you know, it was yeah. like. Oh well, he didn't work hard on it because, true to a billionaire's fashion, somebody else does the work and he takes the credit. Right. So, um, so yeah, he, he was like, "Yeah, I had somebody design that, and they were all unique." You know, it's like, "How did you get one?" And then he kind of deduces that, "Oh, maybe somebody was able to like reconstruct it and then sent it to me." You know, because yeah. the first time we see Blanc, he's you know obviously cooped up in his very lavish like high-rise apartment yeah. in in new york city and he's in his bath and he's doing um he's playing among us with, with uh with his celebrity friends you know kareem yeah. abdul jabbar and 
sadly, what people now know as the last appearances of Angela Lansbury and um, uh, Stephen Sondheim, uh, who will come up in the conversation again mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he has all his celebrity friends and <laughs> he's terrible at Among Us, even though he's a detective. And then there's even like this whole thing later on where Clue is name dropped and we'll get to that yeah. when we cross that bridge. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he ends up at there and uh, yeah, the, there's this all this elaborate setup. They're all catching up and there's this whole kind of, I guess, feeling out process too of like, um, because we don't know how they're all connected right. initially. Yeah, we don't know how that is. Like, And I, I think the movie plays that off very well. Mm-hmm. That whole thing of it allows that space to try and uh, allow us to figure out like why are they the guests and how far do they go back. And yeah, I have to say too, I, I, I do feel like this is um this is one of Edward Norton's better performances, I feel like he's kind of uh, been forgotten in a way, which is a shame because mm-hmm. I remember there was a time where he was he was on the level of like he was our generation's like Robert De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like uh you know, it was a big deal when he did that movie with De Niro and Brando. It was called The Score. And mm-hmm. it was like the three different generations of like you know, top tier acting talent yeah. in yeah. one movie, you know. Um, but yeah, he's kind of been set aside. Like, I think he's only been in like Wes Anderson movies <laughs> and small roles in Wes Anderson movies. Um, right. uh, but yeah, it's nice to see him in kind of, it is an ensemble piece, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but yeah, he's, he's like clearly engaged. He really, I think he, he studied, uh, you know, knowing him, like how meticulous he is with crafting his characters and performances. He's probably studied these billionaires, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's got the whole dress sense down, you know. And, yeah. and, 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 just he, being... and he just has like such a great voice. It's just there's something yeah. there's something so soothing listening to him talk. that It's just mm-hmm. like it's like you're really happy he's in any movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, in, in this role in particular, he he has to also kind of be a charmer, you know, because mm-hmm. you 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 have to understand why all these people are still around him, you know. And he gives that whole speech, and and I want to get your thoughts on, mm-hmm. on what how, how did you feel about the the whole thing of like when he kind of reveals to Blanc what links them all together about being disruptors. Oh God, I <laughs> I hate that. Like I don't know, like yeah. I just, uh, it, it, it just, it, it gives me a feeling termed the nerdy chills. Like, and <laughs> the nerdy chills is kind of like, it's best summarized when, you know, like when you used to watch like Saved by the Bell or some of those shows <laughs> and like Zach and Kelly would, would kiss and the crowd would go, Ooh, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it just makes you feel like squirmy. Like that, Ugh, that, yeah. that's, that's the way I feel when I hear him say we're the disruptors and we disrupt yeah. and um <laughs> and and Birdie Birdie you know who's Kate Hudson you disrupt something the, you know like the, the music the industry yoke, the sweatpants industry the sweatpants yeah. industry or whatever and <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like yeah. it's yeah. it's um reaching for impact that's not there is right kind of, yeah, is, it, yeah. It's, it, it's the Silicon Valley like tech speak of yeah. like you know they they all they all talk that way of like yeah we're we're trying to change the way the world you know um, works yeah. or something like that you know Synergy. we want to yeah yeah <laughs> exactly or like um 
it, it it gave me vibes of um Jeff Bezos, you know, mm-hmm. saying uh he he had talked about like basically that oh you know we all have the same twenty four hours in a day, you know yeah. And I got to this point, like not <laughs> mentioning oh yeah I had these like certain advantages you know in a you know beforehand you know totally. I mean obviously to to get to where he is now that that's a rarefied. Uh, position, but even he had a head start, and you know people talk about that with Elon as well. You know, like they, these guys didn't come from like rags to riches. You know that that's a rare um, uh, success story. Like I mean, you know, even with uh, Steve Jobs, you know the legend of like him being an orphan, you know, and then working his way up that way. Like he he still definitely got certain advantages that you know other people just don't have it's not something that's accessible to them so it's so easy to say that oh yeah we were disruptors and you you bring up birdie like he you know again it's relevant to the pandemic because it's like oh everybody's staying at home so that's how she mm-hmm. like you know uh, was able to cash in on like everybody buying sweatpants because they don't have to leave their house mm-hmm. you know? yeah um uh but yeah, it, it was just so like full of platitudes and you know completely like but this is what I'm saying about the Edward Norton performance. I believed him. <laughs> he's, he's like sincere about it. You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, you know, and there there has to be that charm, and a lot of these billionaires do have that. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg obviously doesn't. He's a charisma vacuum, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Elon has it. You know, it's like the, there's this thing of just like you know they genuinely believe that they're changing the world. You know, and that they're yeah. they're they're dis- disrupting industries. You know, uh, it, it 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 comes from that. Um, but yeah, it. What it didn't say was like, uh, and this is revealed later on, you know, uh, as we peel the layers back, uh, nice. <laughs> you know that um, that they're all dependent on him <laughs> as right. well. Yeah. Like, and again, we're 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 going back to that because um, yeah, th- these are the familiar, and uh, I'm curious if um, Ryan Johnson is gonna bring back that structure again or those motifs again from from the first movie. Which is basically okay. You have this rich kind of patriarch, and these group of people who are financially dependent on him, right? You know, um, and then there's that one character that basically is the one with the heart of gold, and it you know is kind of revealed to be our uh, aside from Benoit Blanc, our our protagonist, the mm-hmm. the person who basically has the most to to gain and to lose, and you know it was Anna de Armas in the first movie, and then in this one it's Janelle Monae. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um and man, okay, let me just get this out of the way too. Like Janelle Monet is a natural screen presence. Right. I mean, you know, the first time we see her in that black and white dress and her like actually that isn't the first time we see her. That's the first time we see her on the dock and arriving at the party. The first time we see her, she gets some mystery box and she just bashes the shit Breaks out of it, it. Yeah. with a hammer. But her hair was different and you know, that comes in to play later on. Uh, so she has this like short crop, like blonde hair, um, dyed blonde hair and just like, you know, exudes elegance, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, we're, uh, she's the one who kind of pushes back on the whole disruptor angle. And then, you know, the I guess it, it's kind of revealed through, um, you know, their, their gossip and their chit chat that she was fucked over by Edward Norton, right. you know, um, and I think she's like suing him. Uh, or in the process of of of, of suing him, mm-hmm. um, so uh, there's all that. But you know, there's that tension. But yeah, it's like 
I guess this is a maybe a quibble or a plot hole. Like, why does he invite her to the <laughs> right? Yeah, why did she get a box? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, other than, um, for the optics of it being like, well, I sent her a box, you know, and she didn't show oh, up. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I had a you know brain fog there, but yeah, you're right. Because um, what he wanted was that the he wanted her to send the invite and for her to not show up, and then he kind of says later on, like, actually, I'm glad you showed up, you know. Right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So so yeah, she she called his bluff, or so we think. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Uh. But yeah, he's definitely surprised that she's there too, along with Benoit Blanc. So. Mm-hmm. It does take a while for the the game to to start, right? Yeah, this is my big complaint. Is it? It, it took uh-huh. an hour and three minutes. Jeez, you time so, well, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it took an hour and three minutes to get to. I thought, not not for the game to start, but to get to like the real game to start. Right. Which is when, yeah. um, but Dave Batista's character goes down. But I think. Yep. To get to the island already took like twenty minutes or something, twenty five minutes, mm. and then to yeah to get All to right. like the first game that Benoit Blanc spoils immediately mm. is like <laughs> it's like fifty minutes, you know? It's like Jeez. so it's just like it, the movie. Unfortunately, even though it is moving and it is mm. you know like I do like most of these characters like being introduced and like the mm. setting is super is really cool. Like I, I like them yeah. going to a crazy ass island. Um, it just takes too long, and just like yeah. it's, it's got to get there, right? And I, I'm wondering if it's just like they had to justify it, um, because of all the Netflix money. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. They had to burn some of it, you know, because it's like they gave him way too much. Because I think in total, Netflix gave him like I think 400 million Jesus to do the, the the two sequels. Yeah, and then. At the same time, you know, that was a point of contention that people had. It's like you're spending that much money on these movies and you're only releasing it theatrically for a week. Yeah. Like you really think people are going to sign up uh, just to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And maybe, you know, some people might do the, the, what is it? The, what do they call that? The hit and run type style of of subscribing where they just subscribe to watch the movie. Then they don't renew, you know, so it, it, it doesn't seem like very smart. Um, business strategy on their part uh, to to do the release of the way that they did it. You know, it's like, why not just um do day and date? Yeah. You know, like, and then, yeah. Because it, it, it wasn't just that um it was a one-week release. It was also because it was only playing in a few screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't like, I think it was like 600, I, I think was the, the number they gave. Um. So, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I just it it doesn't make any sense that they would spend that much money. But mm-hmm. again, going back to it, I think that's why it it's taking its time because it's like, well, we have all this Netflix money, let's <laughs> let's yeah. spend it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they they finally get to um, uh, yeah, as you said, Benoit Blanc spoils it, and then again, I guess this is our main issue is that he figures it out, but it's like we're not on his level. No, you know, and I I go back to Encyclopedia Brown. Like Encyclopedia Brown is a really smart character, but you can like approach his his level, mm-hmm. you know, by just paying attention or even just rereading the short story. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah, there was this little detail there that I didn't exactly. notice. You know, it's like the observation. Like we never even see that because 
Um, okay, so, so let's reveal what he uh, he right. he spoils. So it's it's he had this idea that he knew already who the killer was, how they were gonna do it, <laughs> and I will say I did call it by the way. Like you know, before we watched the movie, um, I I actually watched it with um our our cousin and um, nice. a couple of his friends, and I said, oh yeah, let's uh, let's predict who we think the killer is before the movie, and um. I uh I I predicted Birdie as the yep. killer. Yep. Yeah. And he says, "Okay, the killer's Birdie and she's going to basically kill you with that uh that knight uh statue that's going to shoot a crossbow into your chest, into your heart." And, yeah. You know. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 it was something like because you showed her the the picture of her on the post on on the magazine and she was had mm. this jewel and you have the jewel. Or mm. it, but oh, again, that was wearing yeah the pendant yeah around yeah the, and yeah. but it's like he's he's basically it's a lot of him telling us what's happening right and it's going at a pace that honestly I can't really follow and I'm like mm. you know as I'm just like okay like none of this is fun yeah and um and uh, you know it kind of goes against I feel like one of your tenets of a good movie is don't sh- show don't tell us show us sure. and th- yeah. this movie does a lot of telling us mm-hmm. um yeah and then uh, again it's this thing uh, i i guess this was uh, another issue i had with ryan johnson that i didn't even bring up with the the last jedi which is the whole idea of subverting expectations mm-hmm. and here's the thing it's like not everybody is good at subverting expectations. Yeah. It's like, uh, and I, I think Ryan Johnson is in over his head because, you know, he has his reputation of being a clever filmmaker. Uh, but I don't think he really has the chops to back it up, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of like, yeah, he's just not smart enough. Like, I'm just going to say that out, out loud, you know, it's just like, I don't feel he can craft something meticulous. And uh, maybe the, 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 the reveal to me was also how, those mystery boxes that they got with the, you know, with the games mm-hmm. to figure out things like they didn't actually show it completely. Like, you know, right. uh, you know, they, they skip a few rush steps through it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was because he, he, yeah, he just doesn't have the the ability to, to really break that down. So he'd rather skip a few steps, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, like there's, sometimes there are these detectives, you know, with in fiction and in movies and TV shows that, we they are always a step ahead, you know. And uh, I mean, I would even turn to the 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 Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Like there was no way that you can figure out these things that he's able to figure out, you know. Uh, but it it zooms in on those details, and when he's telling like how he's figuring things out, that allows you in, you yeah, know. Exactly. Uh, when he like he he zooms in on that guy who shot himself, and he's like, no, he he's left-handed because um, you know the he butters his toast a certain way. Yeah, you know, you see yeah. that, you know, like there's, there's a way of letting you in. Whereas yeah. uh, I think with the Benoit Blanc character, which is a great character, I just feel like it, it's just, um, yeah, he, Ryan Johnson doesn't let us in. And uh, I was saying how my feelings differ in this one compared mm-hmm. to the first one, because I do feel like uh, Daniel Craig dials it down a little more mm-hmm. this time around. Like the accent isn't as pronounced Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, th- there's something charming about him in this one. I feel more, and maybe it's just like because we see him in his home life, 
and then it's revealed another cameo that um he lives with you know uh, a a partner and it's played by Hugh Grant yeah you know yeah. so yeah. um who happens to answer the door and then um and then yeah so once that happens it's like are we still on board for this and you know you were saying it's it's already an hour in and this is a 2 hour movie right um, yeah, it's m- m- maybe two fifteen, something like that. Yeah. Oh wow, it's over two hours. Damn, I think yeah, it, it is. is long. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I was just gonna add that, like, once you get to the second game, once you get to an hour yeah. three in, and you get to Dave Batista's death, the next forty five minutes I thought was really good. Like, mm. th- that's when I feel like the movie picks up. It turns into a little more of a real mystery. Yeah. And um, you got good, and also you have a little bit less Blanc. Like Blanc's obviously still doing his thing, but you get mm. more of the Andy character kind of taking the lead. And yes. um, played by Janelle Monet. We didn't even mention her name, <laughs> the, right? Yeah, that was her character's name. Yeah, which is Andy. Uh, you know, crucial. Yeah, <laughs> to exactly. the plot. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. And then, and, and also, you know. I was also kind of getting sick of the characters. Like they don't really, the characters aren't very likable. Uh, you know, like yeah, you get a sense Ryan Johnson doesn't like him. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. like his characters. He's like frowning upon them. Like yeah, Mister Multimillionaire frowning upon like other multimillionaire elites. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just kind of like oh, it's it's kind of it's it's a little similar to Knives Out in that sense that like. You know, everyone has a little flaw. Like, there's no one really mm. that you that you're kind of like kind of that charming. Yeah. You know, e, e, like Kate Kate Hudson is maybe the closest. You know, but she's you know it's a little I don't know. You're put off by her. I want to like Catherine Hahn. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely a patronizing, uh, like look at these characters. I mean, this is another yeah. thing we should mention with these two films is that. Ryan Johnson doesn't hide his politics at all. Like he, he's very clearly a left wing liberal who, you know, frowns upon right wing people. You know? <laughs> like, right. And and treats them as the devil. And like it's so bad in the first movie too with the kid. The the kid from Stranger right. Things, I think, or yeah. the hit movies. I don't know where he's from. Uh, but he, he seems familiar. Um yeah. yeah, and just like, oh, you're just like this uh reddit Nazi. troll or whatever yeah. oh yeah whatever they're, they're calling him and it's just like come on man yeah and then yeah it's the same thing here like he clearly does not like the dave batista character um mm. because of his politics and um and yeah edward norton as well because he's a filthy capitalist <laughs> yeah miles braun right exactly. um yeah but but you're right yeah the middle section of of the film i think is the strongest because there is like um yeah, the lights turn off, you know, which is always exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, what the fuck's going on? Um, and then uh you know, they're they're in this we didn't even mention that they're in this like um foyer or like uh it's like a dining room lobby lounge mm-hmm. yeah. thing. I guess it's the cent- still the center of the house, but like below the glass onion. Mm-hmm. And um uh, it's they're surrounded by glass sculptures and the real Mona Lisa. Yeah, <laughs> that has like its own security system. <laughs> yeah, and so he has it on loan, something right? Mm-hmm. Or like, like yeah, I think he paid a lot of money to the Louvre, but he has it. But um, but you know, I think the information you get is that he has to give it back at some point. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, just to be 
be able to have it on loan from the Louvre, he had to make a significant donation to them right. because obviously they, they're not open during the pandemic, so they're not getting any foot traffic right. and any donations. So him making whatever it was probably a billion dollars yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> to them, um, you know, that, that allowed him to have the, the Mona Lisa, the actual original, yeah. you know, and I, I think, yeah, they make that comment that it's like, oh, it's like having a poster of Che Guevara in your your dorm room or something. But yeah, um, he's like, nope, that's actually the original. That's the actual <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, they they show a lot of shots of the security system, and it sounds like mm. the security system is activated by n- noise or you know some yeah. Uh, I think I think a- anything that's yeah. that like a threat, basically. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, so a, a glass pane goes, uh, and I'm assuming it's bulletproof um, mm-hmm. uh, glass. But then he's like, "Oh, I have an override button," mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like the statue that's in in on display too that you just press down. It's kind of like a Batman yeah. type deal <laughs> that you press it and then it it makes it go down and then. Wink, wink. That's gonna be a, a right. foreshadowing for later. Yeah, on. exactly. So <laughs> instead of like, uh, maybe we won't have it open. Like it's just gonna have this glass thing on it f- the whole time you have it on display. Like right. you know, yeah, yeah, because uh, we don't want you spilling wine on this shit or anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, um, yeah. And so yeah, you know, this is where the section where you get a lot of good info on Andy's backstory. Oh yeah, let's just say it first. Like what happens? So sure. she gets shot by a mystery uh, person, gunman, um, yeah. and then the the movie goes to black, and then we're like, oh, what's going on? And then this kind of a reset. We go back to that moment where there's a knock on Benoit Blanc's door when he's you know in the bath playing mm-hmm. Among Us, and that's actually the reveal of Hugh Grant being his partner because mm-hmm. initially you just hear the voice saying, hey, there's a package for you. Uh-huh. And he gets this package delivered by Janelle Monet, and she looks like how she looks like when we first see her with the frizzy hair, and the box is like destroyed. Mm-hmm. So we now realize like, oh, he did not get the invite. Mm-hmm. He, uh, <laughs> you know, he basically got... Um, uh, Janelle Monet's invite, but she's not Andy. She's it's revealed that she's the twin sister, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So, how did you feel about this big reveal, Steve? I liked it. I yeah. I, I I I thought that this was interesting. I like that we're we're looping back and we're filling in some of the gaps. You know, kind of like time crimes in a way. You know, where it's like, yeah. um. You know, in, in a way, these the these films do feel a little bit like like a looping time yeah. travel film where you get to see things again, you know, a second yeah. time. And so, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I it like it helps, and then it helps to kind of get a sense of oh, um, you know, once you learn that and well, I I don't think at this point they've revealed that Andy is dead. It, it's coming up, but um, mm-hmm. but you know, it gives you a sense that um. Of oh, this is why Edward Norton's character is so surprised when yeah. he sees her on the island, <laughs> you know? Right, um, um, because yeah, they're working basically with a window, and and Benoit Blanc hatches his plan, which initially he's reluctant to do. He's like, oh, I can't really help you. That's like outside of my yeah. jurisdiction as a detective, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. But then you know, it's like, well, if you want to do it, this is how we're gonna do it. Yeah, and. I, I mean, I like that part as well in the sense that um, 
he doesn't explicitly say what they're gonna do. It, yeah. it it allows you to kind of piece it together as they go along. Right. Um. So first, she's gonna go as her sister. Uh. They have no. Yeah. You actually find out she's dead because yeah. that that's the whole motivation. He says like basically, okay, so I can probably hold back like the reporters and in, in revealing the news that she's dead. So you're gonna go as your sister. Uh, you're gonna change your whole look. You know your mm-hmm. hair, and I, I, again with the accent, I'm not quite sure about <laughs> Janelle Monae's like kind of southern, right. uh, common lady accent. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it, but you know, obviously she drops it to pick up the you know because they were saying they used to play this game as a kid as kids of like fancy bitch or whatever it was. Yeah. Um. And, uh, yeah, she changes her look to look more like her sister, who obviously, you know, became more cosmopolitan. And, and again, there's that parallel with the first movie because, you know, Anna de Armas is from humble backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, being, you know, the nurse. Uh, I Is Janelle Monáe's sister, the twin sister, uh, a cleaner or something? Like, she has a very... Like humble job. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know if I yeah, picked but that up. She's, yeah. yeah, but she's definitely like a low level, you know, um, employee mm-hmm. of something. Um, and you know, so there's that parallel. It's like this this innocent um, who's being thrust into this. So she is now basically our Anna de Armas of this plot, which you know, you don't really get a sense initially because you know when you you thought that she was also part of their group being the disruptors. You thought, oh, she's also like a rich person who's kind of financially dependent on him, but she has more principles, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but now you you see, oh, it's actually his, his sister, uh, her sister, so um, her twin sister. So yeah, she comes from more humble beginnings and she really wants to stick it to... Um, the rich people and then you know you get this whole thing of like you you have the scenes replay again but um with more background as to what was going on that for her to gain that courage to respond to this disruptor's speech she had to <laughs> get drunk on hard kombucha yeah. um uh which is again okay another quibble of mine with the movie is the the endless name dropping come on man it's just like jared leto's uh hard kombucha and then you know the ha 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 joke about like okay you know because you remember what happened to jared leto right at the beginning of the pandemic uh no what happened okay so jared leto um went into the desert and like you know i guess tried to find himself and meditated and when he came back uh he (laughs) he found the world in a, you know, on lockdown, he was like, "What the fuck happened?" Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. That's so funny. So, 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 yeah. That that was the allusion to that, and you know, the, he he does these knowingly, knowing winks. You know, the whole thing also about um, uh, I'll bring it back to because of the Beatles tie-in, um, you know, Glass Onion being a Beatles song. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. when they first arrive, Edward Norton is uh playing Blackbird on his right. guitar. Yeah. And then he he basically tells Birdie because she's like, oh, you're playing my song, you know, uh, Birdie Blackbird. Um, yeah. And then he says, well, I'm not just playing your song. I'm playing the the song on the guitar. Paul wrote it, in, and he just like throws it onto the sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you got the the joke with that one, right, Steve? Or what the kind of knowing wink was? Oh, I don't think I did. Okay, so. That couldn't have been the guitar that Paul wrote it on because you know what Paul McCartney is? He's, I mean, he's a bass player. 
Yeah, but he's also left-handed. Left-handed. Oh, he's that's right. He's lefty. <laughs> yeah, and he plays lefty. He, you yeah. know, because there are some ambidextrous guitarists oh, out there. Oh, I missed that. Duh. Yeah, that, there, there would have been no good. way Paul composes Blackbird on a right-handed guitar. Right. That's <laughs> Yeah, because it's not even like, you know... um. Because uh, a lot of left-handed guitarists do the, you know, the restringing where yeah. they do it upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that guitar clearly had like the, you know, the pick guard on the right side. Right. So, that's so funny. <laughs> it, oh, wow. Yeah. So it that's wasn't good. Paul's guitar. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. That yeah. You so, that. yeah. Yeah. But it, it's that those type of things that Ryan Johnson is doing through the movie where, you know, and I, yeah, it's just a quibble of mine with with a lot of movies where it's like, oh, if you get it, you know, you feel like better about yourself. It's like a thing for mm-hmm. critics, you know. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, if you get, if you know, you know. And I'm just like, yeah, it's it, it doesn't do anything for me. I, I'm if anything, it, it it pisses me off. So yeah, the the Jared Leto hard kombucha, yeah. it gives her the <laughs> the the I guess the alcohol courage to respond. And um, yeah, the, the, the it, you begin to make sense too of why they're kind of running around initially when they're just chilling around the the estate uh, is because they're snooping, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. there there's that moment where it's like Batista is snooping on Edward Norton and his girlfriend, yep. And then <laughs> uh, Blanc is snooping on him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's that whole moment, and then you know, um, uh, Andy is also like snooping around. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we eventually get to that point again where we come full circle, and we see that she gets shot, but she didn't die. And yeah. that moment, did you notice something, Steve? Um, uh, when when they show it the second time when she gets shot, there's also like a bit of a reveal there too. Um, they reveal what stopped it. Um, well, yeah, that was the, the eventual thing, but the, the difference between the first time you see the, the gunshot and then the second time is that there's no blood on the second time. Oh, they show blood the first time. Yes. And I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, that's weird. They're showing it again, but she's not bleeding. And then, you know, she does the thing, she gets back up and then turns out andy's journal yeah <laughs> i didn't know these hardbacks were <laughs> enough to stop a bullet maybe i should uh carry a moleskin in my Jesus. breast pocket <laughs> God. i mean it's better than a moleskin whatever it is and well, by the way just an aside to another I- interview i listened to ryan johnson with was that he loves writing in moleskin notebooks oh <laughs> funny and he was saying like he's been like because they discontinued the the sketchbook, which is also like I I also I'm not particular with moleskin, but I like mm-hmm. writing in sketchbooks because it's unlined pages. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. But he said like moleskin discontinued, um, uh, the, their sketchbook. Uh. So he's been buying up the old ones on uh, on eBay. So if you ever lose an auction oh, to God. some dude, <laughs> it's Ryan Johnson you RJ. lost to. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's who it is. Uh, so yeah, it stops the bullet, and then uh, we didn't even mention the the other um, uh, what is it? Uh, the other name drop. Who's uh Jeremy Renner's hot sauce? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, oh man. My God. And then um, so Benoit Blanc uses it twice. Uh, once as blood for for Andy getting shot, mm-hmm. and then also to put tears in his eyes. And yeah. I mean, this is the iconic shot in the movie. Is the when you know he's he's looking and they all show up at different 
you know, yeah, different, different spots. Platform, yeah, different platforms. And, you know, it looks great, but nobody would, they wouldn't show up like that. <laughs> no. In reality, they would all come out of the front entrance where Edward Norton comes out of. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, so now we know that there was a plan all along that, um, and how does it proceed forward, Steve, from that? So, yeah, I think once we get to here, um, Blanc, and, you know, again, it's all, it's, it's almost, it's always Blanc coming up with the idea and setting things in motion. Yeah. He essentially gets, distracts everybody and gets them inside to get away from the body. And then mm. she, uh, Andy gets up, searches all the rooms to look, because the main thing is they're trying to find the original napkin, which is in a red mm-hmm. envelope to, uh, yes. to like, because they, they feel like if if they have this, that then they'll have physical proof that um, Miles Braun killed Andy. Um. And, well, it's two things actually. It's that, and then also um uh it that what's written on that napkin is the original idea for um uh what Alpha ended up making yeah what ended up making uh Miles uh, a, billionaire. a billionaire and also Andy in a way too. But she got like uh, basically um what's the word like um pushed out of the company um yeah yeah he, he she got uh edward saverin yeah. out of facebook yeah exactly <laughs> that's, that's what happened to her exactly um and you know it's a uh, glass onion was the name of the bar where that idea was written down on a napkin and yeah. that napkin is is pivotal to yeah, the and, story yeah and so she you know so then this next chunk she's going through all the rooms ransacking them while blanc is trying to like I think distract them, and ultimately mm-hmm. is like I think explaining. I think this is when he starts explaining things again. Um, yeah, you know, ultimately lead, you know, leading to that he thinks Braun uh, has killed Andy, and I think the the rest of the crew starts to get their own news and alerts and texts that um, Andy is dead. And eventually, yeah. I think the um, uh, the Andy that's in the house, who isn't Andy, I think her name is what was her actual name? Because uh, was it like Cassandra? Was it was it? Cassandra? No, that's her original name, and Andy is the the nickname. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I forgot the sister's name, and you can't find it online because you know it's a, such a major spoiler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like oh, it's yeah. hard to look it up. Yeah, because um, so, yeah, I was trying to look for it too. I was like, so "Yeah, what's funny. the sister's name?" <laughs> so <laughs> like, funny. I can't. Yeah, totally. but yeah, uh, we'll just refer to her as the twin. <laughs> yeah, the twin yeah. A- ends up eventually finding the uh, letter, and then you end up with the big showdown at the end. And um, yep. yeah, how did you feel about this showdown? Because like again. I mean, I I feel like we keep kind of saying the same things about these movies. Mm. It just gets too explainy and too and too long. Is was mm. kind of my thought here. Yeah. Well, I mean the the way let's let's say how Blanc like uh, mm. breaks it down. Like, what does he say? He say it's so dumb. Like, I can't yeah. believe how dumb this is. And it's like, oh, is, is is this Ryan Johnson again trying to get ahead of the audience? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the yeah, because it is. It really is. There's nothing to it. 
you know, at the end of it, like, it's just like, well, yeah, that wasn't really much of a mystery, <laughs> you know? No. Um, and, uh, yeah, and how how it all led up to it, again, we're not active participants in it. There's There's information that's deliberately being held back from us that even when it is revealed, we don't feel involved. Yeah. You know, um, like there's, there's no joy in seeing how it comes together. And I think that's such an essential part of a murder mystery. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, the how, you know, it's like, well, you know, we know somebody's dead, but how did it happen? Um, and uh, yeah, it just, it, 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 in the end, it doesn't really amount to much. Okay. So there's this destruction. Um, she's, you know, she starts knocking over yeah. the. Oh well, okay. We're skipping over a big point. So she finally gets the the napkin out of that display case, mm-hmm. and she reveals the crucial detail, which is that basically the bar where they all used to hang out, um, Glass Onion, had closed down, mm-hmm. and so it it basically dates the um the napkin, the real napkin, compared to what Edward Norton had because his one that was in his handwriting didn't have the Glass Onion written on the napkin, and I don't know, Steve, like. I, I don't know many bars that actually like print their name on napkins. Like, yeah, most bars I've been to, they just like have the generic. Because since they have to replace them so much, like I don't know why why yeah. like a uh, kind of divey bar like Glass Onion would go through all the trouble to like print yeah. their and it's gotta be but a then you know you dive yeah yeah but then you wouldn't have the MacGuffin right of the of the napkin yeah. right so uh, <laughs> uh so yeah it, it's just like. It's silly and, um, you know, there's this whole, like, I guess, satisfaction in in this rich man getting his comeuppance, Mm -hmm. you know, because he burns the napkin. You know, he happens to have this lighter and, you know, Janelle Monae was standing too close to him and she didn't even notice that he had already lit it on fire. And that was the only evidence that they could have that would vindicate the sister um, or Andy. Um, But then, you know, the, the friends start turning on him and... So she went, and when uh, the twin starts knocking over the glass uh, mm-hmm. sculptures, and then um, uh, does she set something on fire? Like what gets set on fire? I I, I can't yeah. remember. Um, like how the fire starts, but eventually it leads to the Mona Lisa, which is like, you know, s- uh, again the not so subtle thing that the Miles Braun character mentions it as like this thing of like I want to make something that's you know. As mm-hmm. famous or as groundbreaking as the Mona Lisa, you know, um, and so that's why it means yeah. so much to him. Yeah, or or be mentioned in the same breath as the Mona Lisa. Oh yeah, you're right. That's like how that. he phrased it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know it it comes back to bite him because his override of the the security mm-hmm. like barrier that comes up like she presses on it and then it burns. Right. And then. <laughs> Yep. He that's it. Like he comes out of the house and he's like, "Are you happy now that you fucking destroyed my glass onion and my house and the Mona Lisa?" Uh which, you know, uh for people who know, the Mona Lisa's still there. It's <laughs> and people came back to see it after thing the Louvre opened up, yeah. so don't worry. Yeah, yeah, this is pure fiction. Uh <laughs> for anybody who was ever in doubt. Yeah. But uh yeah, I wouldn't be surprised though if billionaires like Elon Musk or uh, Jeff Bezos would rent these paintings. Yeah, would actually want <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. Especially during the pandemic, like if that actually happened. Totally. But, you know, yeah, so it's this wish fulfillment of like this billionaire getting his comeuppance and, but not really, you know, at the end of the day, he can just buy all that shit again. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, 
the Mona Lisa was one of a kind, but everything else is replaceable because he has, you know, that dispensable income. And then yeah. again, with the body count, you know, I mean, like, couldn't we have gotten like some sort of um, murder on the Orient Express type deal? Yeah, <laughs> uh, especially because everybody had a motive. Um, yeah, for people who aren't familiar, are, do you know the the ending of Murder of Orient Express? No, Steve. No, no. Oh shit. Okay, I, I won't reveal it then. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm, cool. I'm about to spoil it. But no, let the yeah, let's save it. Because um, okay, I will say, you know, with the the Agatha Christie, um, you know, looming large over this, you know, it it that was one of the the things about this movie that at least it made me want to do is go back to the other Agatha mm-hmm. Christie adaptations. Like I haven't seen the original murder on the Orient Express that, um, Sidney Lumet did, um, which also had an all-star cast. Uh, but I know how it ends. <laughs> so I know the mystery, but okay. you know, it still might be fun getting there. And you know, they, yeah. they say like, you know, Agatha Christie's most famous detective, Hercule Poirot, um, he, you know, also has a French name. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> um, uh, him being played by uh, Peter Ustinov in that, and then the original Death by the Nile, is um, is really good. So uh, I, it, it makes me want to seek those out. Um, nice. But yeah, so overall, Steve. Um, mm. Yeah, I guess we should get to this section of, um, or no, before we even get to that, let, let's introduce the new section. So. Okay. Would you have any wine pairings for uh for the two knives out movies? And you can do them individually or if you just want one for both. That okay. works too. Um so yeah, so this would be a movie that would kind of go well mm-hmm. with this movie. That yeah. th- th- that's the overall vibe. Mm-hmm. Um No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm surprised I've, you wouldn't even recommend Clue. Like you I wouldn't mean, say yeah, just like yeah. watch Clue. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess the obvious clue. I was trying to think of of, of something other than clue, and like the only other thing I I guess that that popped up was like the usual suspects as like something where, you know, there is yeah. a, a really satisfying reveal and ending. Um, yeah, the Kaiser Soze thing that yeah. you mentioned, uh, you know, which we haven't. I, I'm glad we kind of danced around it. Like people still don't know what that is. You know, if you haven't seen it, I mean, some people haven't. <laughs> so which is, yeah, that's really surprising yeah. to me that people yeah. That's a movie yeah. that I'm surprised isn't on like the top 100, actually. Um, it's weird. It's like it's kind of uh, like people have turned on it a little bit. I feel in in recent years because of Singer. Uh, yeah, that, and then also because uh, I guess people take for granted the the twist. You know, it's like yeah. one of those things that in that moment or like the first time you ever see it without knowing any context, you know, cause yeah. obviously it came out during a time where, you know, pre-internet where these things mm-hmm. were still well hidden. And by the way, uh, I mean, also Kevin Spacey, <laughs> we didn't even mention right. Kevin Spacey yeah. and all the prob- problems <laughs> yeah, and baggage yeah. he brings with him. Yeah, yeah. But, um, 1995, you know, he did that and he won an Oscar for it too, uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, verbal, uh, but, uh, he did two movies with like crazy twist reveal endings yeah. and it was that and uh seven he seven, did that both yeah. in the same year crazy and yeah i mean i actually preferred the john doe performance though and th- that's another one that actually like you know pre-internet people didn't know that he was in the movie because he's not credited at the beginning and he's not on the poster he's not in the trailers mm-hmm. like that was like a big surprise to see him in that movie at the end mm-hmm. you totally. know 
Um, well, we just spoiled seven for those who've never seen it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So yeah. So you would say Clue. All right. I, I would um, say Clue and, and Usual Suspects. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Usual Suspects. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. And maybe, uh, I guess, barring these two problematic people who are involved in the making of it. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. worth revisiting for some people. Uh, I mean, for me, the value of usual, usual suspects is, you know, I mean, I think Christopher McQuarrie also won an Oscar for his script, and mm. now he's a big time director, man. He's he's basically the go to guy for um the Mission Impossible movies. Like Tom Cruise has entrusted him, yeah, to now do, I guess, yeah, the franchise and to in per, to perpetuity. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, yep. um, but yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so I guess my wine pairing would be, mm. um, uh, yeah, I'll only just give one because you know you already mentioned Clue. Um, I'll say uh, I would pair it with actually a movie that Ryan Johnson even um, mentioned in an interview before uh, with the first movie, but I think it pairs well more with this second movie, and that's The Last of Sheila, which is famously a movie with the screenplay by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. And, oh. and yeah, yeah, it's so much better than either of these <laughs> movies. Like yeah. I actually think it's like fucking top tier murder mystery. And, you know, I, uh, I don't want to reveal too much because it, it also got, has an all-star cast. Oh my God. James Coburn, uh, an actor who's, who's kind of been forgotten, but he was like, really good at playing annoying characters he was also mm-hmm. in diary of a a mad housewife um hold on i'm blanking on his name um but uh diane cannon is also in it um uh, richard benjamin yeah that's the guy <laughs> he always plays like annoying dudes mm-hmm. but he's so good at it <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um and then uh, uh, Raquel Welch. Oh, man. Like, I think this might be my favorite Raquel Welch movie. Like, Ooh. she is just so gorgeous in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, Last of Sheila is fantastic. Like, who knew? And I'm, you know, I hate musicals and I'm not a fan of Stephen Sondheim. But whoever, who knew he had it in him to make this, to write the script with Anthony Perkins, you know, famously um, mm-hmm. Norman Bates from Psycho. Uh, it's a fantastic murder mystery, and I, again, it it, it involves uh, a rich, um, you know, billionaire who invites like a bunch of his friends, but instead, and they also go on a yacht on a boat. Uh, but the the movie mainly takes place on a boat and like s- and some Mediterranean locations. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it it's so worth seeking out. Like you know, it, it's far more rewarding. You know, we talk about like how how the mystery adds up. And you know, uh, yeah, this one—it's—it's it's great. Cool. It really is worth for people discovering. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. So I think I, I know the answer for our um, uh, going back for second helpings for <laughs> for <laughs> knives out. But I'll yeah. just ask you formally, Steve: Would you come back for seconds? Um, you know what? If it, it if if it's on, I'll watch it. You know, okay. If Fair. I, I think. Because the, the, the cool thing about these these movies, the good, is that there is like a rewatchability in terms of like the sequencing and seeing, oh, yeah, how did this part go? And the people are good looking. So kind of watching them kind of move around. And, you know, it's just kind of like popcorn-y. So, sure. Yeah. It feels like the, already even the first Knives Out 
is already like a TNT staple. Yeah, yeah. it's already like playing round the clock on on TNT. So yeah, so yeah. it is almost meant as like a it's like pizza, which is like good for it's good it's good the second time around. It's good leftovers. Yeah. It's like so it's like <laughs> I like that, that in that sense. I think I think yeah, changing this is it a keeper? I would say no, but no, is it, but, yeah. but 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 would I come back for seconds? Sure. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and. And I would say in terms of coming back for seconds, I'll, I'll definitely come back. And I mentioned this earlier that I'd come back for the third mm-hmm. Knives yeah, Out for exactly. sure. You know, I'll, I'll go see that because I, I think also the discipline of the murder mystery structure for, for Ryan Johnson, funnily enough, keeps him in check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, even though we've said it's too long and then he doesn't really know how to build yeah. uh, a, a good reveal. But, you know, it... it, it he he works well within the, those constraints. Yeah, somehow it's like you know he he almost has it dialed. Both Knives Out and Glass Onion, they suffer from the fact that like um, there's no real mystery. You kind of mm. know, like in Glass Onion, you kind of know that Miles is behind it. Yeah, um, and then with the red herring, like there there's a character in in uh, Glass Onion, I think named Daryl. Who's just this guy living on the island? <laughs> we we didn't even mention that guy. Yeah. And it's just like, why is he there? And it's just like, <laughs> y- you just you know, similar to Ten Knives Out, you're just thinking, oh, is, is he involved? Is he a red a red herring or you know, what is it? And right. It's it's just like, yeah, it seems like it's more similar to the Jeremy Jeremy Renner hot sauce kind of a thing, where it's just it's yeah. there to kind of appease some part of you that's like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if there was just a random guy around? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yep. it's never explained. I guess it's one of Ryan Johnson's like guys who's like in all of his films. I, it's like, but it, mm, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just, it's, um, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, it, 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 it's his attempt at humor and, you know, it's just not his strong suit. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan okay, Johnson. Yeah. Go, you know? Going back to the humor, I was thinking, like, if, if you could recast the movie, if I could recast mm-hmm. the movie with, like, put, put comedic actors in it. Let's go. Like, like I would do for Birdie. I'll, I mean, I, I, I think Kate Hudson is pretty good, but maybe, like, like an Anna Ferris or something. Oh, and, shit. That is fantastic. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah. Birdie has a friend named Peg, who's kind of just oh like yeah, her we didn't assistant. even mention her. Yeah, yep. it's like uh, I feel like that character is wasted, and like yeah, that's like right. a prime. Like if that character was Bobby Lee or something, like <laughs> that's like a prime <laughs> character oh where you just put someone funny in it, and they'll make yeah. the the boring lines way funnier. You know? Absolutely, and then the whole like, um, you know, because obviously they're all given motivations. Like the tension that that it brings would be even stronger because it's a funny guy. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I've always believed Bobby Lee is the funniest when he's trying to be serious. Yeah, you know, he like, can't. Yeah, he can't yeah. help but be funny when he's trying to be serious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all his, his his jokes about his dad, like it's like yeah. his dad is being very abusive, but it's hilarious. Like it's, when yeah. he tells him, it's like, "You not funny, Bobby." <laughs> he's just funny. It's yeah, like, he's it's just like, a natural man, and I, I stand for that. It's like, man, like uh, bring back Bobby Lee in movies, man. Yeah, like, please. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, 
yeah, you know, uh, we're we're kind of deviating a little bit from it, but you know, with the whole breakup thing that's been going on, like there was, it was revealed that he actually gave up certain roles that he could have gotten. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, it really sucks, man. And it's just like, man. I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure the the podcast game gave him some good money, but yeah. And now he he's doing other podcasts, right? He's like got one with um Andrew Santino. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's branching out. Yeah, but still, like, he should be in movies, man. I mean, you know, yeah. these little cameos, like, uh, uh, do you remember his cameo in Harold and Kumar yeah. go to White Castle? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so good where he raises his hand every time to say something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, he's, man. He's just naturally funny. And so. Oh, uh, what a great cast. <laughs> and then same thing with Duke. So Duke is. Right oh, now, you would replace Batista. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking. I will, I was thinking. Who could who who could play that role? That kind of male, and mm-hmm. like, it wouldn't be on the nose like Batista. But if like imagine like if Will Ferrell was that character, <laughs> yeah. like it would be oh so funny if Will yeah. Ferrell was like this oh, male man. influencer, this man man <laughs> you know men's rights yeah, then, kind of guy. And- and have him be like wearing the same outfits, yeah, too. like the the swim trunks with the gun holster, with whiskey, <laughs> like 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 in the oh, world, whiskey man. is still his girlfriend. You oh know? wow! Oh, you this know? is brilliant. We we need to CC uh um uh for when we post this episode, CC yeah. Ryan Johnson on yeah, Twitter, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, exactly. he'll hear us like take a shit on him too. Yeah, and <laughs> he'll then, really hate us. We'll be blacklisted. <laughs> Yeah, and then I was thinking, uh, although I do like Catherine Hahn, like I definitely think she she's good, but I feel like the character was underwritten for her. Oh yeah, whereas, for sure. Whereas, yeah. whereas like if you put Kristen Wiig in that role, like okay. all, it, like I feel like that that makes that boring role funnier like mm. immediately. Sure. Yeah. And then, or uh, I I was even thinking like um, uh, <laughs> I mean I might even go a little more extreme with like Kate McKinnon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As yeah, a politician, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. did she play? Uh, who did she play? Uh, was it Hillary? Yeah, uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On she's SNL. so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kate, yeah. 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 She's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think you're right. The, that would have spiced up the audience, uh, the the cast a lot. Yeah. Because I. Yeah. I mean, comparing cast. I mean, this is just another little um tangent mm-hmm. but you know i i i started watching white lotus i think we talked about this on yeah, record yeah. this the new season and you know it's another ens- ensemble cast and you can't help but compare the two mm-hmm. you know um and i preferred the second season's cast over the first season and it, it's kind of the same thing even though again that was the weakness of the first one was a lot of these characters weren't given enough to do I and mean, especially i think you know michael shannon is a national treasure like you know, if you have Michael Shannon, you better be like using him, right. you know. And I, I don't think he was given enough to do in in the first one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it that's the problem with you know ensemble cast is like you know um, yeah. Well, I I'm trying to think like who could be the Leslie Odom Jr. character to yeah. like who who that's, would be <laughs> that's a, yeah like yeah like I was thinking like. Keenan Thompson or something. Oh shit! Yeah, that could be good. Um, yeah, because it's just hard when it it's like with the black comedians, like you may like tip the needle too much, you know, because you don't want to go like too far into like you can't take them too seriously, like uh, you know, like Kevin Hart or something, and then you know Kevin Hart's, you know, a right. celebrity also takes away from it. Um, 
I was yeah. kind of thinking um, maybe like Lil Rel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think yeah, he wouldn't take too much from it. Um, you know, and he was great playing alongside uh, Eric Andre. Actually, you know oh, what? Eric oh, Andre. Eric, you know, this is the thing. You know, because uh, on Letterbox, the um, the knife knives out three pages already up, and you know how even before the movies have even been shot or cast, right. like people are already writing reviews. All the reviews for Ga- Glass House, I mean, from uh, Knives Out 3, are all casting suggestions. That's so funny. <laughs> so maybe we should put... Uh, do we have a movie food letterbox? I think we should have one. Okay. We need to make one. Um, yeah. Yeah, that would be the... Our review is our, like, recasting and then <laughs> our um, our suggestions. Because, yeah, I, I, I think Eric Andre needs to be in the third one. Like, he oh. needs... <laughs> That'd be so um, good. We we gotta get Bobby Lee in somehow. Oh yeah, Bobby Lee. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we we these people are like Bobby Lee, uh, they gotta Kate be McKinnon, penciled. Will mm-hmm. Will Ferrell can play the billionaire. Mm. Oh shit! Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, by the way, um, another uh uncredited cameo, um, that uh, mm-hmm. I I just found out because uh, I'm on the Wikipedia page of Glass Onion right now. Uh, did you know this? Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a cameo in the movie. Do you, do you know who he is in the movie? Oh God! Uh, <laughs> it, oh, it's so he's obscure. Like, he, he's like a voiceover thing, right? He's, yes, it's just he's the voice. voice of the hourly dong. <laughs> yeah, that they got Joseph Gordon-Levitt to do that, and then also, um, uh, it, continuing with the name drops, uh, Edward Norton's character Miles Braun mentions that. He actually got Philip Glass to compose that dong. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So there's there's that, and then um, yeah. So yeah. uh, yeah, you know, Serena Williams. We didn't even mention she also shows up right. uh, as up. the personal trainer, and then there's a tie-in with the first movie because um uh, uh Benoit Blanc. One of his theories ties. He mentions like uh, gravity's rainbow. And what is Serena Williams reading? Which I know she probably wasn't really reading. You know, it was just put in her hands uh-huh. for that scene. No, sorry, I, I don't want to judge Serena Williams. Maybe sure. she is like a big fan of the book, but you know, it's sure. it's one of the most notoriously difficult books to read. Is okay. Thomas Pynchon's Gravity's Rainbow? Okay, but good. oh man, the recasting couch. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah, is brilliant. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Bobby Lee, Eric Andre, Knives Out Three. Let's do it. Let's. Let's go. It's got to happen. <laughs> Love it. All right. Oh, man. I think we did it, man. I, I think we made it through these sleuth movies. Um, yeah. That's crazy. I didn't think that this would be another one of our average times. Like, I really thought I didn't have that much to say Yeah. about both movies. You know, because if you see my notes for this episode, it's like, yeah. it's one paragraph. <laughs> I know. So, it's, it's, yeah, this is that, crazy. Th- it's just the way it goes, man. That, that, yeah, man. That's how we do it here. In movie we food. go long. We yeah. go long, we go strong. Um, yeah. All right, well, before we bring this baby home, I got uh, one more thing to get to. Okay. Um, so, you know, f- we have a Patreon, uh, Movie Food Pod, and if you sign up at the highest tier, you get a jingle. And I have yeah. created a jingle for someone who has signed up. I think they have awesome. okayed us playing it on the show. And it is also uh, it's a friend of the show. It's Jacob yes. Rivera. So, all right, shout out that, to Jacob. Jacob, here is your jingle. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Rivera. Love section sports MMA and boxing. On his Twitter, he'll give you a shout out. 
he's Jacob Rivera. <laughs> brilliant oh man uh yeah i can't wait for jacob to hear it because you know he usually texts me after each episode that he listens to i should forward forward them to you because yeah he really enjoys it oh that's nice he gives yeah he always gives me like a little anecdote about his experience with the movies that we talk about so it's great and um i i don't remember if he mentioned that in his episode i think he did in the episode where he was a guest he is a you know a infamous uh, ticket uh, stub collector. Yeah, you know he keeps all that. the stubs, even like the printed the the thermal paper. We were mentioning that in the episode that is like because wow. you know I never kept those because they fade. Yeah, but you know he has a way of, of keeping them, and yeah, he always Deserve. mentions them. he has this impeccable memory of like, and I guess the stubs help that he remembers where he first saw that movie. Totally, you know, and he he saw it when it came out, so. Yeah, Jacob, man, and yeah, we'll we'll definitely have him back. Um, sure. You know, there's some rumblings that we may be focusing on a a particular artist uh, of our time. <laughs> we'll see. Um, sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So I guess that wraps up another uh, <sighs> episode of Movie Food. That's and right. And I didn't even get to my um, my epilogue, but yeah, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll add it to uh, our next episode. Our season finale is going to be. Oh uh, we're, man, we're, it's, it's some epic. Christmas slash anti-Christmas films we have on yeah. Slate. We're excited to get that going. And, uh, of course, you got to follow us. You got to follow us on the Twitter, at Movie Food Pod. Carlo, Carlo Kino all, with all Ks on Twitter. Yes. You got your, of course, your letterbox, Astrofish, F-I-S-C-H. Yes. And our Patreon. Right, yeah, movie food. And, uh, yeah, I guess we should start a movie food um, letterbox. letterbox. Even if it's just to, yeah, to, um, I feel, you know, to link to our episodes, you know. So whatever right. movie we're discussing, we can have that discussed on movie food, you know, and people will find it that way. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. everything that we're covering here. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Man. All right. So this is another uh, movie food episode, the penultimate episode, and we'll be seeing you for our season finale. Okay. Uh, bye-bye. Right. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.